Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Retro Review with Rob and Terry. I am Rob. And this is... You know what that's from? What was from? that? Did you see Miss America, the Miss Universe pageant? When France was trying to say her own country's name, she goes, and, and it's hilarious. You got to go online if you haven't seen that, because that makes no sense to you right now. <laughs> Absolutely not, even a little oh, bit. All right. So... Yes, that was already parodied on SNL as well. It is hilarious because they go through all these women on the stage. El Salvador, Ecuador, Finland. And then you hear, because <laughs> something happened to that girl's voice in the middle of it. It's just terrible. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> all right, so right now it makes up. no sense. It makes no sense. Not a bit. But I was hoping to get you with that, but no, you hadn't seen it. All right. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. You better <laughs> watch that one. immediately after we're done tonight. I'll have to check that out because uh, you kind of scared me there for a second. <laughs> I'm like, what in the heck is wrong with Terry? What's happened? Did we break oh, him? Jeez. <laughs> oh, man. It has just made its circling around the web. I'm surprised right. you haven't well, we accidentally are. seen anything about it. We are here for... Episode number 92. 92, man. Uh, eight It was a great year. 92 was a great year. I was nine, but it was a lot of good stuff happening during 92. A lot of good music, a lot of good movies, and a lot of good stuff in 92. Something else so, happened good in 92. What happened now? You graduate high school or something? That was the year I graduated from high school. All right. Yeah, lucky guys. Yeah. I started my five-year Army career that same year, too. Oh, yeah. Well, basically, those two events began happened within three days of each other. <laughs> yeah, wild. You went right for it, man. I'd actually enlisted the summer before my senior year on delayed entry. Hmm. I was already technically enlisted in the army my entire senior year. Yeah, I so, did not. I did not do it until about four months later, right after nine eleven. I mean, yeah, seriously, I right after. I, uh, I kind of knew that was the only thing I knew as a kid growing up that I was actually gonna do was I knew I was gonna join the army. Past that, I didn't really have much of a clue yet. So. <laughs> I spent five years there and then got out and was like, well, what now? <laughs> so, <laughs> What do I do? This was fun. Right. Well, now you can always say you did it. Yeah. Well, yes, we are on episode number 92, and this week we are having our third week of our six weeks of small screen, and Terry has chosen Lost Through the Looking Glass, the season finale of season three. And this was lost was at its just it was the it was yes. at its height. Yeah, I was just gonna say this is at its absolute peak right here. It was just the hottest thing on television at the time. And it, I think I said last week this was the highest rated episode of the whole series was through the looking glass. There's a lot happening in this episode and uh yeah. we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about it. And having some fun with it. Well, sure, I'm sure we'll delve into some other parts of Lost too, because jumping in mid, basically mid show, because it only went seven seasons, right? No, it went six seasons. Six, and with a short this four exact, season. Yeah, this was the exact middle of the show. So we are uh, 
we're gonna have a little bit of fun talking about Lost. And uh, but we got a couple of celebrities who are ninety-two years old. Terry, who we got? Well, we've talked about him. And this is his year. Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood is ninety-two years old. Gosh, that's crazy. He's still doing movies. And yeah, he's just. Uh, He's going to go down, I think, as one of Hollywood's greatest all around. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He started off being kind of a regular actor. Then he migrated over into the Westerns and went Western heavy for quite a while. Then came back as more of a, yeah, well, I guess there are kind of typical Clint Eastwood roles now. (laughs) Yeah. And his, his Westerns are one of the few, like, old school Westerns that I like. Yeah. So well, uh, he's a good actor. So I mean, he makes anything. He's great. Yeah, he's great. He makes he almost great. anything great. Up next, though, we have somebody who's even more luminary, more important, more culturally relevant, and more. How do I want to put it? Personally important to many a Gen Xer. And even above and below that. Okay. And that is none other than James Earl Jones, the voice of Darth Vader. Indeed. What a great guy. What a great actor. I just <laughs> wonder what he'd be like be around in real life. Would he be cool? I don't know. I mean, he's, I want to I believe s- he'd be cool. I've never heard anybody say bad things about him. Yeah. He's not controversial voice. in any way. No. Loved him in the Sandlot. <laughs> uh, that movie has turned on me. Why? Because of those brackets that we did with sports movies. When Sandlot won best sports movie of all time, I immediately started to hate it. <laughs> well, you, yeah, consider your audience is all. And right. but Sandlot was a fun movie. It was a fun sports movie. It was a fun kid summer kid movie. And baseball just happened to be at the core of that movie. And yeah, I'm with you. I I wouldn't rate it as a best sports movie of all time. And but I mean, it, it was great. Uh, but yeah, he was he was fun in that movie. He was in movie Three Fugitives as a cop on that show. That was fun. And he's just been a handful of other things. Everybody oh, knows James Earl Jones coming to America. I don't, I don't know why I didn't say that first, but yeah, yeah, another great one. But. Above all else, the voice of Darth Vader. And yeah. uh, I've gone back at different times. You know, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. So I saw, like, screen test when it was actually David Prowse speaking through the helmet with his kind of British accent as Darth Vader. And there's yeah. no way that character would have worked with that voice. Right. But the, that mechanical sound they added on top of James Earl Jones's voice just made Darth Vader. It's yeah. – it's, uh, it's iconic. It's instantly recognizable. You know, it's just the best. I love it. Warren Buffett is 92 years old. Wasn't he 91 last week? Did he have a birthday? He may have had a birthday. <laughs> I don't it know. happens. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite actors of all time is 92 years old, and that's Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman, yeah. He retired from acting almost 20 years ago because he did that runaway jury. Then welcome to Mooseport, and I don't think the dude's acted since. And that was like his Michael last 304. Thing was the Royal Tenenbaums, wasn't it? Was it Royal Tenenbaums? I it thought might that have was been before that. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's such a such a great actor. We've talked about him before, especially when we did the uh, the Hoosiers podcast. And 
again, he's just a fantastic actor. Another one, another fantastic actor who is 92 years old, that is Robert Duvall. Yeah, another good one. Jeez. Yeah, yeah Welcome sure. to Mooseport was the last one he did. The uh, very controversial entrepreneur and political funder George Soros is 92 years old. Who's that? Uh, he's a major donor on the left. Uh, he's uh, definitely definitely surrounds himself in controversy quite a bit. And then uh, another, I guess you call him controversial figure on the right, is Pat Robertson is 92 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I'll see that moved you. Let's, uh, 700 club. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, he's a he's an interesting character. Yeah, they both were. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about some celebrities who were born in 1992. This is depressing for me, Terry, because these are all uh, celebrities and athletes that we'll get to as well. Who very easily I could have kids their age. Okay, because I was you know eight, 18, 92, yeah. graduated from high school. I'm off into the army. And, uh, yeah, that's just, oh, it sucks, Terry. (laughs) It sucks when you start looking at it like that. And these are all 30-year-olds that uh, could be very much, you know, um, someone (laughs) someone that could be my child. That's how I look at these new students that come into the x-ray programs. Like, dang. (laughs) Yeah. That could be your dad. This is dumb. Uh, Selena Gomez was born in 1992 along with Miley Cyrus and Cardi B. All right. Also, uh, Demi Lovato. You know yeah. who Demi Lovato. Is. I know, I know, I do. I just, I just, it's just. He's a singer. It is crazy how these, how much younger all these people are than we are. Well, yeah, but I mean, you have to pay attention a little bit. Yeah, I know, I know who these are. I'm just, it's okay. So right. far, uh, Taylor, Taylor Lautner was born in 1992. The, uh, uh, I guess your team was it Jacob, I and Edward on. On uh, Twilight. Twilight, yeah, I know. <laughs> We've already discussed <laughs> our dislike of that, right? Uh, Cara Delevingne, model and actress, was born in 1992. She was the. Did you watch the original Suicide Squad? Yeah, she was the temptress. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. Josh Hutcherson. Yeah, know him. Is born in 1992, along with. Vanessa Morgan and Sasha Banks. Okay. Born in nineteen ninety two. Now, let's check out a couple athletes. Let's see, we've got Kyrie Irving was born in ninety two. There you yeah. go. I know. Odell Beckham Jr., who uh not a great flyer. Not a great flyer. Not a great flyer. You didn't happened? see the video of Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, yeah. off the airplane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see that. <laughs> oh, he uh, seems to be that, somebody. That, that turned Dante against him. Did it? Dante was a huge Odell Beckham Jr. fan. Had a jersey of him and everything. Always talked about him. And he's like, I don't, I'm not his fan anymore because he acted like that. Good for Dante. That's right. Uh, Bryce Harper was born in 1992. Yeah, he can hit. Aaron Judge also born in 1992. He can hit as well. Yeah. He got kind of started a little later. It seemed like, but yeah, he he can hit. It does bombs. seem like like Harper's been around longer than Judge. 
He has been, because Harper was drafted at 18, I believe, and started playing them big leagues at 20 or 21. Okay. We've also got uh, Soraya, was born in 1992. You may remember her as Paige from the WWE. Oh, yeah. yeah so she was born in 92, along with Victor Olapado, Johnny Manziel, who I'm sure we're going to see in the USFL this spring, aren't we? What? Yeah, probably flashing a pan. Yeah. I'm positive we'll see him there. And here's another guy we could possibly see there, and that's Carson Wentz. (laughs) Poor Carson. That guy's had some bad luck. Yeah. I'll put it that way. He's definitely had some bad luck. Yeah. Uh, Tyron Tyron Matthew. Matthew, Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying it right. I'm sure. Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. Yeah. Jacoby Brissett also. Born in 92. Kyle Larson. Tyler Lockett. Gary Mm -hmm. Sanchez. And, okay, here, uh, Sean Johnson. Does that name ring a bell to you? Sean Johnson. Uh, she's was only 30 a, years old, but she feels she, like a lifetime ago. Was a she was g- one of gymnastics, the. Gymnastics, yeah. A gymnast, yep. She's a gymnast on the United States Olympic team, I think, in 2000. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. And finally, one of my favorite baseball players of the last 25 years, Javi Baez. Was born in 1992. Former Cub. Former Cub, Javi Baez. That one still stings. I really wish. I know he hasn't been performing great, you know, lately, but man, I just, I love that watching that guy play baseball so much. His highlight reel is entertaining, I'll be honest. Oh, yeah. The the tags and just the kind of flair he brought to the game, but it wasn't like someone like Javi could very easily anger a lot of baseball purists. Mm-hmm. Because he played the game a little loud, but he didn't. I don't mm-hmm. think he ever really crossed the line into truly being obnoxious. He was just, no. he was just, you know, having fun out there. He was, you know, I used to say that I love watching him because it's like he was playing with his hair on fire. He was always doing something flashy. They called him, you know, El Mago, the magician. <laughs> and uh, so I miss watching Javi play for the Cubs. If he was one of the ones that he they would bring back, I would be ecstatic. Until he went, you know, hit two forty for the season, <laughs> you know, then I probably wouldn't be as happy. Yeah, he's got to get on base. That's right. He's got to stop swinging it. Sliders low and away. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, that's our celebrity corner, Terry. I got a All feeling. Right. What I'm thinking. I think this. I'll run this by you right now in front of our vast listening audience. 99, we just stop it. Yeah, you don't want to get go with the uh, centurions? <laughs> get the 100-year-old, stop at 100? All right, I'll, okay. Yeah, that makes better sense. I was just thinking because when you get to 2000, then I'm going to have to explain why You know, we're talking about episode 100, but we're also talking about people born in 2000 and uh, <laughs> the double zeros. So, uh, so all right, got, we'll do that. Got the odds. <laughs> oh, it's all right. So we'll we'll hit we'll hit it to the one hundred, and so we've got you know what seven more weeks of this then, yes. and and then we'll have to find something else to to waste time with at the beginning of the show. Yeah, we'll figure something out. We always do. right. Well, let's get into some rants and raves, Terry. I want to come out of the gate swinging on this one. All right. I spend much more time online than you do, and so I am constantly, and I spend a lot of time on Twitter, and you know I don't post on Twitter, but I love reading it. And uh, 
there's a new conspiracy theory that is being pushed around Twitter talking about why no one has seen DeMar Hamlin's face, implying that he has either died or there's somebody else out there. For what reason, I can't even imagine. But I've seen it all now. People talk about why haven't we seen DeMar Hamlin's face since his, you know, since he was on the field. Because, you know, he kind of, he did go out in the crowd when he was there at that game and he was, you know, kind of hidden. Now, I've heard people that with some sense talk about the fact that it was a doctor who had noticed all this dumb, ridiculous talk going on and said, you know, he could very, yeah, he could have partial facial paralysis. He could have, you know, any kind of number of problems um, with how he physically looks that he might be embarrassed about. And uh, he may not be able to speak correctly. You know, you know, it, it, there's all these different things that could have come about from what happened with him and that, that might cause him to not want to be, you know, face right in front of a camera. But yeah. this is the Internet, Terry, and these are people. And so now you have this, why haven't we seen DeMar Hamlin's face? It's not everywhere yet, but I've seen enough of it that I'm like, are these people for real? Yeah, it's only three weeks removed from this. It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, just let the guy heal for a little while. He'll bounce back, and you'll see him eventually, and he'll come back out in the public eye, and he'll make appearances. He's got his charity. He's got the Bills who are going to just tear the roof down when he comes back on the field waving at the fans and thanking them next year at the beginning of the year. You know, right. it's it's coming. Just relax. Chill. If he died, they would have announced he died. Right. Okay, period. And you're not keeping that quiet. Yeah, not the, family, with all the... the family would make sure that was known. We right. are mad that our son has died. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. It's just people just... People are the worst sometimes. They're stupid. There's so many stupid people. It's just... Yeah. It's too and many the, stupid. The, the, the nerve of throwing that stuff around like that... And we've talked about this before, Terry, that I think the people online... Uh, I've often said that that's not real life, that that's not reality. But then again, I heard somebody talk about, no, that is because that's how these people really are when they're not afraid of any kind of repercussions for what they say. And I think we've talked about before, I think that if more people were afraid of getting punched in the mouth, they'd be a lot more polite. And this is one of those situations. I mean, the kid's obviously going through, you know, this incredible struggle that he had, you know, this this life-threatening event that happened and his family's dealing with it and... You got these idiots and yahoos running around trying to get, you know, views or clicks or likes on social media and just taking something so obviously inspirational that he recover he's recovering at the rate that he is and turning it into something just to elevate their own name. And it's just disgusting. Yep. That's what, that's what we live in right now. Yeah. Ain't going away. No way to right, police well, it. Do you have any rants this week? Yeah, Monday I had a rocket my windshield on the way to work, and I started my day off pretty poorly because of that. It was just a little chip out of the windshield, two little chips right next to each other. And I was going to get it fixed right after work on Monday, and I called this place in Morton. I drove over there right after work. Nobody answered. I figured if I show up, I call the number that they gave me when I got there. Nobody answered that either. He never called me back. I was like, oh, "This is stupid." So next day after work, I went out to Safe Light out the out there in Peoria, right out uh-huh. by the mall. And man, 
I got in there. Nicest staff ever. And, man, you can't even tell I had a chip on the window other than, like, a little tiny pen, tip of a pen dot where it happened. Okay. So it's just annoying having to deal with that. But the outcome was good, so it turned kind of turned into a rave. Because at first I thought I was going to have to pay 150 bucks to get it all fixed because I got a deductible on my insurance that isn't enough to <laughs> so. right. <laughs> and then I looked online and it said, oh, most insurances cover that. So while I'm sitting there, while they're fixing it, I call the insurance company. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. We uh, we waived the deductible for rock chips in the window. And I was like, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> and she, yeah. she started making a claim. And, yeah, it was free for me to get repaired and it looks great again. So it ended up turning out great. Just really annoying, though. Just driving that, that instant feeling of it hitting the window and, and then you see it. Sarah and I have had like six windshields have to get replaced because it was too like too bad and the crack spread really fast. Our That's van fun. has had a crack all the way across the window for about three years now. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got. I don't know. We just we you know we live up here in Kiwani, so we got to drive an hour to take it to get the window replaced, and yeah. uh, so it's just become a hassle. And I guess we don't even really see it anymore. I don't even really see. It. Although I do know that it tears up our windshield wipers at a much faster rate. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so that was my rant, for, rant. That's my only rant this week. I have another one. Maybe you've seen this, but maybe not because it's the only place I really saw it on was Twitter. All right, let me set the stage for you here. There's lots of people that like to post on Twitter about things that annoy them, obviously, and they're always pe- posting their gripes and griefs and everything else. And uh, there was a video that went around pretty recently this early 20s probably maybe mid-20s girl, is at a gym. She's got a camera propped up against something recording herself, and she's talking into to a little microphone. Go ahead. I, saw, I think I saw the headline of this. Go on. Yeah, she is on this you know post, and she's talking about how mad she is that she's being you know stared at, and she says, I just can't stand this. I don't like being sexualized in any way, and all this other stuff. And the video shows a guy in the background just he looks over at her. You know, he glances at her, looks away, and I think, you know, he's just kind of he's there. He's probably, you know, uh, who, who know I, I can't speak to what he's actually thinking or doing obviously, but you know, he's in no way leering at her or yeah. anything. And she goes off on this rant about all of it, about how she can't stand it, and I have to give it up for a lot of the people on Twitter. They kind of roasted this girl for trying to make this guy out to be some kind of a predator. Yeah. While she was uh, simply, any, you know, there's any number of reasons why he may have glanced at her. You know, she was maybe he wanted her equipment. Maybe he's wondering why she's talking to herself in the gym in front of a phone. You know, why is she videotaping herself recording? And yeah. uh, I'm being recorded too because I'm in the shot here. So yeah, I'm gonna yeah. glance over and what's going on. And the 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 sheer lunacy of it, Terry, was that her gripe was she didn't want to be looked at while she was working out. Right? Work out at home. She's well, not even just that. But she was videotaping herself working out to post it on social media. There you go. Okay, so explain to me. Make it make sense, Terry. How is that? <laughs> Why? This is just, She's one of those people that just looks for the opportunity to be offended anywhere she goes. Yep, and I know those kind of people, and they are <coughs> a bear to be around. Oh, obnoxious. Com- incredibly obnoxious. Yep. And another thing, too, she's just ripping this guy. She's videotaping him without his permission, yep. for one thing. 
and he's not doing anything wrong, and she's painting him as some kind of a creep. Now, this yep. guy's got family and friends and, and who knows, maybe even a girlfriend or a wife even. You never know. And for her to be smearing him like that for nothing. Yeah. You just That's why you just, <laughs> again, people are just the worst, and there's no repercussions. She's got her little crowd of people that are probably like, oh, my God, you're such a victim, you know, and all the stuff that are probably hyping her up over this ridiculous nonsense garbage that she's spouting. And... Come to find out, she's actually got, I don't know if it's not, it's not OnlyFans, but it's like one of its competitors' pages. She's got an account there. So she's showing off her body anyways to right. countless people. And but some guy glances at her at the gym, and now she's a victim of sexual harassment and, and male gaze and toxic masculinity and all those other things, Terry. Gosh. Now, I, 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 uh, I don't like the way that she went about this at all. And it's terrible and it's annoying that people are just trying to trap other people. That is wrong. Right. But then, I mean, there's actual creeps out there. Actual guys that are perverted that will uh, make women feel uncomfortable just because they're in their workout clothes. And they want to watch them be over there sweating. And they're like, oh, wow, I really like this. You know, I'm just going to kind of pretend like I'm not watching, but I am watching. It's like, dude, everybody in the gym knows you're looking at this person. All right. Right. Stop, get, stop being a creep. Get out of here. Go home. That I get. But trapping people like this or trying, I, I, excuse me, trying to trap somebody like this right. is pretty ridiculous. Also considering everything you just said about this person. And too, not for nothing, but well, here, let's have a little thought experiment, Terry. Let's see how many women we can make mad in the next five minutes. Um. <laughs> If you've noticed, I don't know, I have I don't spend a lot of time at the gym, but I see pictures of people at the gym <laughs> and uh, I see, you know, they post them online. What gets worn to gyms these days would have gotten you arrested 50 years ago if you were out in public wearing. There it leaves nothing to the imagination. Okay. And believe me, I I I guys wear gym shorts, you know? They wear muscle shirts, or they wear regular T-shirts, you know? Uh, right. And people say, oh, well, it's different for women. It's different for women. I'm like, I, I've known people that are objectively just very good-looking, but they don't wear that kind of stuff because they want to be treated the same as everybody else, and it's like they don't wear that kind of uh, eye-catching apparel, okay? And right. they get along with life just fine. A large part of the population feels like they have to wear this kind of stuff, and I just—it's confusing to me. As and then, uh, why are people looking? Why are it's because it's distracting? Well, let's get dangerous here, Terry. <laughs> let's walk on a, a, a razor's edge here. If you wear basically underwear to the gym to work out, you have no right to tell someone not to look at you. Right. You can't control. I can't control. If I'm walking down the street, and obviously, Terry, I'm not going to stop traffic when I walk down the street. I'm 49 years old, overweight, and uh, I'm You will if you're in your underwear. Well, yeah. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah. That's definitely going to draw attention. I have no more control over that. I cannot tell somebody what they can or cannot look at. Now, if they're... 
if they're leering or they're, you know, obviously making, you know, like obvious faces where they're getting some kind of gratification out of this, I can be mad at them or think they're a creep, but I can't control what they look at. If I don't want that attention, then I avoid it. Yeah. I don't go to the gym in my underwear because I don't want people looking at me. Yeah. And if you want that kind of attention, you're going to dress and do yourself up to get that kind of attention. And then that's what you're going to get. If you want people to see you that way. Okay. But it makes me feel beautiful. It's not for everybody else. It's for me. No. Everybody in the world's going to see you if you're just wearing things that say, hey, look at me. Right. Uh, have we have we committed misogyny tonight, Terry? I don't know, but just think of it this way. You can see a guy walk in with uh, a dog collar with spikes across it with a mohawk and tattoos all over his face and piercings and everything popping out of his face. You know what? People are going to take notice and look at that guy. Yep. He's not going to just blend in. Exactly. It's that that kind of stuff. It there are creeps out there. All right, I I, I get that, but at the same time, but you're making you it easy people, for them. Yeah, you're making but, it easy for them to be a creep if you go to work out in your underwear. Yep. So I think, and this is going to be very controversial and unpopular, but part of the problem is the attire. Now that's. You know, I guess a controversial thing to say, but uh, I work. I work it, at the truth. I work in a hospital, and you know, we have administration. We have people work in the business offices, and there's a lot of women that wear these ridiculous, like three, four inch heels to try to lift their legs up and try to be sexy and all this. And it's like, this is a workplace. <laughs> and for I can tell, I can guarantee you, those shoes you're wearing right now are way less comfortable than. A comfortable shoe, a regular shoe. No kidding. <laughs> Why are you torturing yourself? Who are you here to impress? Who are you here trying to look good for? In what way does this make you better? And I, I'm always confused. And some people say, "Oh, well, shorter people do it so they can feel taller, give them more confidence." I'm, I got we got people here like five ten wearing these heels, and they, they end up being like six one. You know, <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, what what are they doing it for then? Okay, you know? And I always always think it's just kind of ridiculous and doesn't make any sense to me. And that's not to say that I'm sitting there thinking that we should bitch a guy should sit around and decide what women are allowed to wear or not. That's not what I'm talking about. No. What I'm talking about is if you wear normal clothes, you're going to get normal reactions. But if you go out in public wearing, you know, a sports bra and painted on super short uh, yoga shorts – you're going to have people look at you. That's a fact. Yep. And I think that bothers me the most about this is this idea that you can simply uh, say something isn't a fact just because you don't like it. Well, they shouldn't be looking at. It. We should that that should be you know that should be wrong. Well, it's not. You can't tell somebody what they're going to look at. They're going to look at you. If you don't want to admit to it, if you don't like it, if you don't think that it's okay, it doesn't change anything about the fact that that is going to happen. Yeah. All right, well, let's get out of here before we uh, we lose all our female listeners and our wives yeah. and anybody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's move on to some raves. Terry, I was listening to the podcast from last week. I chickened out on pulling the upset pick for Cincinnati over Buffalo. I sat there and listened to myself say, man, I really want to pick Cincinnati, and I didn't do it. And lo and behold, 
Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, Cincinnati Bengals just stuck it to the Buffalo Bills in their home field. The Bills' offense looked terrible. Like the de- well, I shouldn't say the Bills' offense looked terrible. The Bengals' defense looked amazing. They looked great. They were just playing. Really they were ready to play, and they brought the pain. And Joe Mixon got himself 100 yards on offense. Joe Burrow threw good passes. He didn't do that much better than Josh Allen, but he did slightly better. Enough better. And the final score yeah. on the board, that's, that's what settles it. But that's because Bills' defense wasn't as hot as the Cincinnati defense. Yeah. And if Cincinnati's uh, defense was equal with the Bills, we'd have had an even game, in my opinion. But there goes my Super Bowl pick from early at the beginning of the year. Once again, the Bills have let us down. Yep. Uh, I saw somebody post a meme, you know, the marked safe meme. So somebody said they were marked safe from watching the Bills lose a fifth Super Bowl. <laughs> so <laughs> that's twisting the knife pretty early. Uh, I don't know how much momentum and attitude – carries a team but man Cincinnati played like they were angry at the world they were hitting hard and they played aggressive and I'll just give this right up front Terry I think Cincinnati's going to the Super Bowl I think they beat Kansas City next week yes you took my upset pick too they looked way too good to not pick them and yeah I think it's gonna be Cincy and man I, I gotta stick with Philly man even though my heart tells me San Fran's winning this game I'm sticking with Philly I'm sticking with Philly. It's going to be a very close game. Just a couple points. I would have – I'm not sure if I'm there yet. I uh, – wow. Well, i got to pick. Here's my argument on both sides. Philly came out and embarrassed Dallas. I mean, not uh, – New York. New York. Not Dallas. They came out and made – and we were talked about the Giants. The Giants had looked good, and Philly made them look like nothing. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Hurts appears to be, if totally not hundred percent, yeah, if not hundred percent, at least ninety, ninety-five. So, I don't know. Part of me wants to bet San Francisco just to be different than you, so we have a little bit of drama on the pick. But if I'm really being honest, I do think Philly is going to beat San Francisco. I think Brock Purdy's Cinderella run ends this week. Um, but man, I could certainly see a scenario where they do they do get it. So I uh all right, let's uh I'm stuck on Philly and by three and I'm I'm gonna say Cleveland by a touchdown. Cleveland's not even in the playoffs. All right, Cincinnati, Ohio. Ohio <laughs> by a touchdown. I have a friend who'd be probably a little upset with me if you heard me pick. You know what? Forget it. I I've, I can see advantages on both sides. I'm taking San Fran. Just so we have a, just so we have a little bit of, of drama. I think that either I think they're very evenly matched. I yeah. do agree it's going to be a really good game, and uh, maybe Purdy has a one more round of magic in him. Yeah, I say Philly goes up early, and San Fran battles back and gets it close, but just can't seal the deal. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride I'm gonna ride the Niners train, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, so I got yeah I got Eagles by three, and Cincy by seven over KC. Ooh, I, I guess if I'm to pick, I'm taking Cincy over KC. I think it's going to be by ten because I think that uh, that uh, Patrick Mahomes' injury is much more significant than they're letting on. 
Yeah, I was trying to be nice and give the Chiefs the benefit of the doubt, but <laughs> ten would be totally reasonable too. And then I hope I'll we're take both Sam, wrong, you know. But right. I, and then I'll take San Fran by four. All right. And uh, we'll see how we're how our picks turn out. Did you have any other raves this week, Terry? Yeah, I got two more. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so this one you're not gonna like, but I think it's cool. <laughs> uh, LeBron James yeah, is one hundred like is one hundred and seventy eight points away from breaking the long standing scoring record of thirty eight thousand three hundred eighty seven career points set by Kareem Abdul Jabbar. He is just a few games away, and he is going to do it this season, barring a career ending injury. So well, we can always hope. <laughs> hey, no, I'm, but, that, that but, was terrible. I wouldn't hope that on anybody, but. Big records like this are just, it's really cool when someone does finally get there. As much as I hated Bonds beating Hank Aaron, it was still cool because it happened. And here's another right. one. It's cool because it happened. Jabbar retired in, what, 89, something like that. So it, it's been uh, 30, this 34 years now, and it finally might fall. And uh, yeah, Well, it will fall. No, finally. If you want to put the little asterisk at the end of it, uh, Abdul Jabbar went to college before he went to the NBA, so True he story. missed a couple. So yeah, so I mean that's a little bit different. And I'm not LeBron is obviously he's earned it, but he hasn't yep. played since he was 18 years old, so he has a yeah. couple years extra on Abdul Jabbar. So, but he was playing at the pro level where a lot of these college guys go to fine tune their game so they can handle the pros. Where LeBron was able to handle the pros at 18. Right. All right. I know you're you're his best friend and. Not you're the, the best president, friend, of, the, but I, you're, I you're the president of the LeBron James fan club. I know, you know, that's your second job. Uh, I, it just is impressive that he's going to get there, and uh, Kareem's numbers are going to fall during our lifetime. I I thought they were going to stand for a long time, if not forever. I did too, twenty I years did. ago. But then LeBron hit the scene. I was like, oh dang! This five years ago, you're like, oh man, this this might it fall. Is a, it's an impressive feat, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, congratulations to, you know, let's let's hope he doesn't, you know, have a muscle cramp and need, you know, the stretcher to get off the court again, or or somebody may, waves a hand close to his face and he falls down like he's been attacked by a pit bull, you know, screaming in pain and asking for his mommy. And uh, <laughs> I think LeBron should seriously have a second career in soccer because he's one of the best floppers in the history of professional sports. Oh, soccer, basketball, football—they all love to flop, don't they? They don't really flop in football. Oh, the heck they don't. I've watched people don't... fall down while, so they can try to get an injury timeout real quick. Well, <laughs> they stop the clock. I have many times. <laughs> it's if nowhere they get caught, near, they're penalized. It's nowhere near the level of soccer and basketball. Yeah, that's true. Soccer. You don't see basketball. people flopping in baseball at all. I can't think of a single person flopping in baseball. Yeah, well... You you get a guy that get pitches inside, and every now and then you'll get a guy at the plate that'll oversell it and make act like they got hit by that pitch, and then be like ah, even though, and then on the replay you see that ball never even touched. Him. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Coming through, I have seen that. It, it doesn't happen that. often, but it does. Right, come around from time to time. Well, whatever sport it is, LeBron is on the Mount Rushmore of floppers. <laughs> so I don't care who makes up the Rabbit. I have another rave this week too, Terry. Okay. Well, you had you had more than one rave, didn't you? I did. 
Go ahead with your next one first. Uh, all right. Well, B E G I N N I N G. Beginning. That was a word that Ruby won her classroom spelling bee today with, and she gets to compete in the school spe- the whole school spelling bee this Friday with all the fourth through eighth graders. And the winner gets to go on to the city spelling bee, and she is so happy and so excited. I I quizzed her some more tonight on some of these spelling words, and there's some, man, the eighth grade words, <laughs> there's a lot of words yeah. in there I don't even know. A, a, a very good chunk of those I didn't even know, and I was like, dang, I hope I'm spelling this, or saying this right. I'd look them up on, uh, use Google how to pronounce this, and like, there's a little thing, you <laughs> click a button, and, and it pronounces it for you, you're like, okay. Uh, but yeah, so she was spelling some of those words that we never even heard of correct, and but now she's got this spelling list, this like packet, and apparently all the words are going to be pulled from this. So I told her, I'm like, let's study them, let's try to remember how to say them, and we'll work on them again tomorrow. But yeah, she's re- that's outstanding. I, to- I told her take it to bed tonight. I'm like, yeah, just read that while you're going to sleep. <laughs> it's funny you should say that too, because Dante also won his class spelling bee today. Hey Dante, and, how about uh, that? Yeah, so he's going on to do the same thing, to compete against the other students and the rest of the school, and and I would hope to move on as well. I don't know which word he spelled to win it, but uh, I know that he did win, and he was excited. So, And you know the funny thing is, she, she told us about it Monday. She's like, yeah, I got fifth in our classroom because I forgot to put a hyphen in the word. I'm like, since when are there hyphens in a spelling bee? Yeah, that seems odd. I looked at her spelling list. There's a lot of proper nouns in there, too. And I'm like, since when are there proper nouns in a spelling bee? And I, it kind of bothered me a little bit. And there's spaces as well on some of these. And I, and the spaces I can get, but I don't know. I, if you spell the word correctly, why do you need all this other stuff? Anyways, anyways, so we, she told me about that on Monday and I told her, I'm like, well, make sure you don't do that. Whenever you have your your actual one, because I was just for practice that day, right? And she wins it today, moves on. Uh, but yesterday, I said, you know what we should watch? There's a movie I've heard of about spelling bees. I think, and I've heard it's really good. It was called Aquila and the Bee. I've heard of it. Is that's it good? A, that's a solid movie. That's a solid family movie. Okay, it's a good show, and uh, it got Lawrence Fishburne in it, Angela uh, Bassett. Okay, great movie. I remember hearing of it. Yeah. It, just a solid, just good family movie. There's not much bad you can say about it. Awesome. All right. Well, I have another rave, and it's actually a rave and then an anticipation of what I hope will be a rave also. Terry, did you catch any of the WWE's Raw is 30 Monday night? I kind of watched a couple clips on Facebook, but I, I still haven't gotten back to go look at it more. Okay. The... uh they're setting up. We're pushing into soon to be it. We're well, full full blown road to WrestleMania now, yeah. and the Royal Rumble is this Saturday night. Terry, that will is. you be watching? I'm off Saturday, so I don't know if I'll be watching it live, but I probably will be rewatch it soon after because I won't be able really to watch it live. Care. Yeah, because I I, uh, I won't be able to watch it live because we have a, a church conference this whole week, and so I'll be watching it when I get back from that. But I'm actually kind of, uh, they've got some interesting storylines working right now. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. The Royal Rumble, you know, it's always a fun premium live event because you're I'm always s- seeing people coming back. 
I'm still mad we didn't go to the Rumble in St. Louis or the Survivor Series when Sting made his debut. And they, they, it's like, man, I wish I would have just forked over that money just so I could say I've gone while I was still more invested in it than I am now. But, oh, well, you live. The thing about the Royal Rumble is you don't have to be that invested in it because you it's don't. such a unique setup. But then you're not as willing to throw down 100, 120 bucks to go see the show when you're <laughs> – as you would be. And that's hundred twenty bucks to be seated pretty far away too. <laughs> so yeah, so I think I'd just prefer to watch it on the TV. And now they're um, all in these giant stadiums. Now the Rumble's as big yeah. as WrestleMania. They put them in these yeah. big arenas. I wouldn't mind going, especially to a Rumble. I think WrestleMania would be just a little bit too much. It's too long. Yeah, you sit in those seats for six hours, two nights in a row, and yeah. uh, I think that'd be a little bit much. But I would go to a Rumble. If I had the money to, to burn, yeah. and uh, I think that would be fun. But I am looking forward to the Rumble. I'll be watching it this weekend at some point, probably late Saturday night. I'll watch it and, Who's and see what happens. All right. Well, Terry, let's move on then. Oh, I was going to say, if who's you have, winning oh, it? Oh, who, Cody Rhodes. Guaranteed I think he's a surprise. I think he's – I one thing I don't want to do is it seems of lately the big reveal is the 30th entrant. And that's always the big surprise, and you're always waiting for it. You're waiting for the surprise. I think they dump him in like at 15 and just shock the heck out of everybody right in the middle of the rumble, rather yeah. than wait till 30. Let 30 be some celebrity. Uh, you know, I don't. Well, no, I mean, I think Cody bad. Rhodes is winning it because I think Cody Rhodes is beating WrestleMania and beating Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. I yeah. think for one of the belts anyway. I think it's it's too soon, and I don't like it if they go that route. Really? No, because he didn't do enough. He he came on the scene, had like three matches against Seth Rollins, and hurt and out for the rest of the year. Yeah. And then you just bring him back, Mania title. Uh, that's 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 pretty quick. I like a nice build up to my my rumble winner like a we still got two months to build it up between rumble and mania i know but i like to build up to the rumble too like Sami Zayn would be a great winner uh see i think he's he's another option that could win it because he could he could get himself in there and that's when he does his turn on the bloodline and roman reigns and the usos and maybe he wins gets that win i think Sami Zayn would be great to take one of the belts off roman Yes, the run be- he's having right now since last WrestleMania, I remember I was talking, I was listening to a podcast that was doing kind of a highlights of, of Raw's thirty, and they were talking about what happened, which was the trial of Sami Zayn, which the opening segment where you know he's trying to prove that he was still loyal and and everything else. And but I remember talking with you about after last WrestleMania because he was the one that wrestled against the guys from Jackass. Yeah. And I remember saying after that, after how well that segment came off, I'm like, Sami Zayn is a made man right now because they trusted him to go out there with these celebrities and not only not hurt them, but make them look good, keep it entertaining, and not make it look stupid. And he did all those things. I'm like, Sami Zayn is a made man. And now you're seeing it. He's a main event star right now. He's in the biggest storyline, not only in WWE, but across wrestling. And one of the you know, more interesting storylines I've seen in a while. Yeah. And I'd love to see it because he's crazy talented. And you get this underdog. He's smaller than Roman, which makes it like, okay, right. we got to root for this underdog. And you got to, if they do this right, it could be epic. Now, I saw somebody fantasy book this because it is in LA. WrestleMania is in LA this year. And there's been all this talk 
about the rock and uh yeah. so and i the reason and I'm, I'm kind of curious now because you don't hear anybody saying no and you don't hear anybody that's involved talking about it which kind of makes you do that that fantasy booking where you're like maybe that's because it's actually happened or want to keep it on the down low here's a dream scenario terry is that uh what if you have Rock as the 30, 30th entrant in the Royal Rumble? That place would come unglued. It would I come mean, apart. Yeah. It would it, fall. The, the stadium would collapse. <laughs> from the absolute roar of the crowd. And then he faces Roman at WrestleMania. Because here's another rumor that is, is floating around the uh, the dirt, the, the, the wrestling web, is that Roman's going to wrestle both nights. He's going to defend one belt one, one belt one night and the other belt the next night. Ugh. And so, uh, which because he's the biggest star in the company right now and it's not even close. And so I think they're, they're figuring they want him on both nights of WrestleMania so they keep that viewership up and they keep those ticket sales up. You got to sell out that stadium two nights in a row. Yeah, that's going to be hard because he, he'd be exhausted. So you you can't be having lengthy, long matches. And that's what you want from your main eventers. So. Right, that'd be that'd be a tall order for Roman. We could. No, he's he's in very good shape, and he's, I, but his, still, two nights in a row just going right. long. Yeah, if one of them's getting well, the rock, they ain't gonna go long because he's like 50. that's true. Right, because that that's the saving grace. And I think could you see the, uh, Cody Rhodes one night and the Rock the next night? How big of a ticket would that be? It'd be something. Yeah, I'm just not sold on Cody Rhodes enough. I really am, man. Because when he came back, it was such a big deal because of all the stuff that happened outside. Where he left WWE, was one of the people that helped start AEW. And right as AEW was really starting to pick up some steam, all of a sudden he's gone again. Comes back to WWE. And that match he wrestled against Seth Rollins in Hell in a Cell is something I've never seen before. Because that arm and his chest and everything that pain he must have gone through i think he won over every fan in the place oh, and it was impressive. i think his Don't return yeah i think his return is going to be bigger than maybe uh you're, you're thinking it will be and i think that he's uh because i think he was the guy they were playing on on, on taking roman down to begin with even before yeah. he got hurt yeah i don't like that somebody's got to beat him i'm a roman reigns fan but He's got to lose the belts at some point, right? He can't be the champion forever. I don't want him to lose it to The Rock. I think that's stupid. Uh, right, and that's why I'm saying I don't think he would lose to The Rock either, but it's a way to split up the belts so at least Raw has a championship belt and SmackDown has a championship belt. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of takes the shares the spotlight a little bit. Yeah, I just don't, I don't believe uh, Cody Rhodes' type is good enough. Technically, I, I, mean, I think I, Roman's much, much more talented technically, personally. I think Roman's really come into his own the last few years. And um, like, uh, you guys, you've made fun of me before about how much I liked Roman Reigns. I liked him back when the Shield was still together. I first started getting back to watching wrestling with Joey when he got into it. And the Shield was one of the factions that, uh, <laughs> that brought me back into wrestling. So... Uh, I've been a Roman Mark for some time now, and it's being paid off these last couple of years. I'm going to make an early WrestleMania prediction. And okay. what I want to happen, I don't want Roman to lose the belts. I want him really? to hang I want him to hang on to him. I want to see how long he can do this. 
All right, fair enough. I, I mean, I won't. If cry it ain't losing. if it if it ain't Sami Zayn this year, then nobody. In my that's, that's what that's what I want as a fan, but okay. a fair weather fan as I guess. But <laughs> well, yeah, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a diehard anymore either. I don't. I watched. I, I watched the 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 well, they're not pay per views anymore. It's the premium live events. I watch those, and then I read the recaps on. Mm. Uh, for Raw and SmackDown. Like on Tuesday and Saturday, I'm reading recaps of what happened on Raw and SmackDown rather than actually watching the show. So I'm terrible for the WWE because uh, I still follow them, but I'm not I'm not generating any ad revenue for them. Right. But uh, I think the Sami Zayn one, as much as I think that Cody Rhodes has earned it, I think Sami Zayn right now is on such a run that uh, he is – he it would be good. Absolutely. Oh, I would love – here's – I also heard someone else talking about, and this was a possibility. Was, they, they mentioned something and got me thinking. What if the whole bloodline turns on Roman, and he's by himself? Uh, they, yeah. Like the Usos, Solo Sokoa, Sami Zayn, they finally all turn on him, and that's way you you beat him. Sami Zayn can beat him, take the title, or even both of them if you want to keep them together, and then that's how you switch Roman back to a babyface. That'd be a good way for him to make his face turn because uh, he'd realize the error of his ways, and he gets he has that you know redemption arc, which yeah. I think would be good too. But I really do like him as the the mafia boss type bad guy. He really that really suits his personality, his look, everything about him. Yeah. All right. Well, we've lost most mm-hmm. of them. We lost all the women a little bit ago. When we were talking about Jim attire. Now we've lost all the non wrestling fans. I think now it's time to move on to our Todd Beamer hero of the week. <laughs> All right, so a Welshman decided to donate his kidney to an unknown patient after his daughter received a donated one in a potentially life-saving procedure. When Arfon Jones's daughter, Saren, became seriously ill and had to have both of her kidneys removed, he did what any father would do and signed up to be a donor. However, the surgeons determined uh, that his kidney would not match. And for months, Saren sat on a dialysis machine 10 hours a night. In April of 2022, Arfon received a call that a suitable donor had been found. Without the kidney, I wouldn't be alive today, possibly, said 19-year-old Saren. It was while Saren was awaiting a transplant that Arfon learned more about how to be a living organ donor and that a normal person can lead a healthy life with just one kidney. Quote, after Saren got her new kidney, she was told that I could get off the living donor list, and that's when I had a very strange experience, Arfon told BBC. Quote, it was as if I heard a voice telling me, there is someone else who needs your kidney, and I just felt that I had to stay on the list. Arfon became a kidney donor at 70 years old just before Christmas, remarking he had given someone a very nice present. He doesn't know their identity as it wasn't a friend or family member, but he knows they're doing well. One third of all kidney donations in the United Kingdom come from living donors who provided they follow basic healthy habits of eating well, exercising regularly, and getting proper amounts of sleep, and they can live uh, long and healthy lives. Wow. So. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Planned on giving his daughter a kidney. And something told him, no, I'm going to give somebody a kidney because somebody saved my daughter's life. I want to save someone else's. Paying it forward. Amazing. Absolutely. Which, That's a, such a great story. What a, what a cool man. Paying it forward. Uh, this is the exact opposite of that, but I used to joke around that I didn't want to be an organ donor because I was afraid they wouldn't want to save my life. 
if I was in an accident. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do that because I want to. I don't want. I don't want to be thinking the. Like, oh, we got several here we can use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people had that kind of mentality too, and that's. Uh, but once you realize all the things you have to go through to find out if your body's even viable for organs, it's right? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, we have Gift of Hope at the hospital, and they're something else. And they do everything they can to make sure every body part stays as healthy as they can, even though they're clinically brain dead. They, right. But once they get all the recipients lined up, then it's like, okay, now it's time. And the, the you know, hallways line up with people, just honoring them as they go by, going on to save all the countless people. And just to clear the air, too, to, to bring that my last little comment to a close, I am an organ donor. So, <laughs> As am I. I told Sarah, and I was very clear with her from the beginning, I said, if I die, donate my organs, period. I know it may be a difficult decision at the time. I don't like talking about it. I'm like, I, I'm talking about it. I want it to be the reason someone else is alive, if that's possible. Right. I agree. I won't need them anymore once I'm dead. Exactly. I get new ones in heaven, so you can have the old ones. I'm trading up. <laughs> so. There you go. <laughs> All right, Terry. How about our Guinness World Record report this week? It's a good one. Pizza Hut is now the proud owner of the Guinness Book of World Records title for world's largest pizza. After making I a pie, saw on, a picture of this. A pie on January 18th that spanned nearly 14,000 square feet. That wow. is. So how far across? That's is a it? dozen of my houses. Uh, how far across was it? I don't know. Uh, okay, you're gonna have curious. to make me bust out a calculator here. I ain't gonna do that. All right. <laughs> using thirteen, <laughs> using thirteen thousand six hundred fifty-three pounds of dough, four thousand nine hundred forty-eight pounds of sweet marinara sauce, more than eight thousand eight hundred pounds of cheese, and nearly six hundred thirty thousand four hundred ninety-six pepperonis. The dish was fully assembled, topped and cooked in pieces at the L.A. Convention Center. It was baked using the Big New Yorker recipe and donated to several local charities after completion. 68,000 pieces uh, uh, were created. So, wow. Out of that one 68, pizza. 68,000 pieces of pizza. Pizza, yeah. Now, what size pizzas? Are we talking monocles cut? Are we talking... <laughs> I would hope they were generous portions, but... Right. Uh, a team of workers spread out across the convention center to floor to construct a massive pizza. YouTube sensation Airac, real name Eric Decker, was on hand to help with the pie making, bringing his subscriber totals to surpass 10 million. The message behind his channel is that anything is possible if you put your mind to the task at hand and back it up with hard work. And this isn't the first time Pizza Hut, which opened its first location in 1958 has an entry in the Guinness Book of World Records. In 2016, they secured the Guinness World Record title for highest altitude pizza delivery on land when their pizza was delivered to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania at an altitude of 19,341 feet. Bet it wasn't still hot. Probably not. <laughs> but that is still impressive. Yeah. Imagine you're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Something that, you know, statistically 100% of the people don't do. <laughs> you 
you know what I mean? As far as statistics go, it might as well be 100% of people can't do or won't do. And you're doing it to deliver a pizza. Yeah. It's a fantastic. <laughs> you, you said before that you guys watched Mr. Beast, right? Yes. The boys, they haven't watched him for a while, but for a while, they went through a phase there where they watched him every day. Yeah. That's, uh, Ruby's kind of fading out of that because he hasn't posted a new video in who knows how long now. But they had like a, a hiking trip up this mountain. And they they hiked for hours and hours and hours, and they ordered a pizza from Domino's. And this guy shows up. I'm sure it was all staged, but he right. ends up hiking up this whole thing with this pizza. And it's like some of it's missing by the time he gets up there because he's got hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't even tip him. <laughs> oh my gosh! It, it was just a. It was just funny. It was just played for laughs, but it was cool. Well, that is. Uh, I saw pictures of that pizza. It was just. It's ridiculous, ridiculously big, yeah. and uh, I was like, "Man, uh, all that food just to break a record." Yep, and they gave it away, so that's good. I'm sure it was good. You know, New Yorker style pizza is good from Pizza Pe- Hut. Pizza is um, good. I'm a little burnt out on Pizza Hut because it's the only pizza place in town, yeah. and so I just would Casey's. love to have some. Well, Casey's, yeah, but you know, learn how to make your own pizza, man. Buy that pre-made dough and then do your own toppings and sauce. And Sarah makes a killer pizza, and I think it's pre-made dough, and she just tops it up, throws it in the oven, and it ends up tasting outstanding. That's not worth worth a try. And Maybe it a might, fun family night. Might even save you a buck or two. Yeah. But yeah, so I wish we did have other options. You know, I mentioned Monocles. I love Monocles pizza. Uh, Domino's has got good pizza. Papa John's, I like Papa John's pizza, even though yeah. nobody likes Papa John anymore. I still like their pizza. Yeah, the spicy garlic sauce they have to dip your crust in, yummy. All right, well, Terry, we're going to move on now to Rob's hot take. All right, now I need hot. you to do something for me. This is going to be a participation hot take, Terry. Okay, this is very important. I need you to do for me. I need you to examine your surroundings. Do you have? Are you sitting at a desk or a table? I don't know what you call this thing. It's a Does desk. it have any drawers? Yes. Okay, I need you to open the drawer. All right. It's going to be empty, this one. But it's open regardless. Well, okay. no, it has something in it. Double check what's in there, Terry. All right. Yeah. I want you to make sure that what is in that drawer of your desk is not a classified document. <laughs> it's not. Because apparently... They're everywhere. Apparently. Apparently, everybody's got classified documents right now. I don't think I have this any. This is getting out of control. First, it was Trump. Then it was Biden. Now, even Mike Pence has said he's got, he found classified documents in his home in Indiana. You had Hillary Clinton with the, the unsecured server with you know thousands of classified email documents. What are we doing, Terry? We're just trying to give away our government secrets and... You know, whatever. I have just been, this is so bizarre. When at first, when they came after Trump, I was like, okay, well, they finally found something on him. And then come to realize that it's, I bet if you went to Obama's house right now, he's probably got classified documents stored somewhere. And he doesn't the even Bushes, know Bushes, they've probably got them. Yeah, most of these people probably don't even know they have them either. Or even care. Right. And I listened to, uh, you know who Jon Stewart is, right? Used to be the absolutely. Daily Show. Yeah, absolutely. He's got a podcast. He's got a show on Apple TV 
Plus, but I don't have that. But he does a podcast that's kind of a companion to it called The Problem with Jon Stewart. And he had a guy on today who was uh, who's writing a book that's coming out in February all about the whole system of what's classified in this country. And it was a it was a great interview. Listen to them talk about it. It's eye opening. Uh, from what he said, most of this stuff is you know basically just covering your own butt so you don't nobody sees a mistake you made or something like that. But he said some of the stuff that gets classified is like you know it'll be a handwritten thing. There was on a napkin somewhere, but they have to classify it because it shows that somebody was at a certain place at a certain time. So it's not all like the nuclear codes. It's probably a lot of mundane stuff that just gets classified. But he said it's appalling at the lack of security. He said it's overwhelming. He said that uh, the United States government generates, and I want to make—I'm pretty sure I'm quoting him correctly when I say that the United States government generates eight billion emails a day. <laughs> How? He said there's no way to monitor all of this. There's no way to keep all this stuff secure. He also said that there are, listen to this, this blew my mind. This is crazy. There are 1.3 million people in the United States who have top secret security clearance. That doesn't make sense. That's four times the amount of our population. No, 1.3 million. Oh, I thought you said billion. No. 1.3 million people in the United States have top secret security clearance. Uh, well, I, I that kind of, how many people are in the military? Less than a million. It's less than a million? Oh, yeah, it's less than a million. There's 325 million people in the country. You're telling me only one in every 325 people are, are served in the military? Are actively serving at this time. Oh, jeez. Because I, I, that would be leaving out that would be leaving out um, like state national guards. Oh yeah, no, we got to include those two. How many people? But I think are... the the federal like f- active duty military, I believe, is is less than a million. All right, well, let's look at all those combined because okay. active personnel and reserve combined, we got about there's one point three five eight million active. And okay, then so just just at oh, under eight hundred thousand reserves, so you got over two million people. And I remember being in there. My supervisor in my shop had top secret clearance, and like the supervisors ha- in all the shops had top secret clearance. I had secret clearance. Everybody, everybody I worked with, all us uh, worker bees, we all had secret clearance, and that was it. But I feel like all the shop soups that were. Master sergeants, senior masters, and the officers all had top secret. But I don't know what, what all that means as far as what they're learning that I don't that I don't know already. So, right. uh, just just to comment on that point because that's as far as I know on top secret and secret stuff. I just remember when I was being assigned that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is getting real here. <laughs> I have secret clearance. Oh man, I'm a big deal now. To come to right. find out, everybody's got that in the military. Right. Uh, I don't know if this this guy, he didn't mention whether or not he made a distinction between military or civilian. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was eye-opening listening to talk about the sheer volume of information that is out there and how ill-prepared and how, how ill-equipped we are to main contr- maintain control of all of it. Yep. And so I just I just thought to, uh, that was my hot take that we uh, – <laughs> evidently 
classified documents just can be found anywhere. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was it. That was my hot take. Terry, let's move on now to our retro review. All right. So this week on our retro review, as we have already mentioned, we are doing an episode of Lost, the beloved TV show from the mid-2000s to the late 2000s that people were on their edge of their seat for every week because it seemed like every single episode had a cliffhanger of some sort that just kept you leaving wanting more, even though you were completely lost on what was going on right throughout the entire show. And But somehow, they had a hook there that just kept you coming back, trying to figure it out, trying to solve the mystery of what the show was about. The and mystery, what was going on? Yeah. Everything was confusing. And just when you, you almost figured something else out, they've thrown three or four more things at you that you, right. you still got to figure out. There was a lot of things going on here. And unless you've watched this show from start to finish, you ain't going to understand get anything we're talking about here and it's going to sound like a jumbled piece of garbage to you but if you've seen the show you know you'll love this what we're talking about uh but yeah this episode i picked because it was the highest rated episode of lost out of all the episodes and like you said earlier it was at the peak of lost fandom there everybody was right tuning into this and there was such a build to this season finale and they delivered. And it was it was a great season finale that left you on the hook for wait until season four. But man, what it a way a to do it! It was a major turning point. It was a major turning point. I think in the whole direction of the show. It was because it, you had the whole first uh, up to the finale of this season. The whole focus of everybody on the island, with the exception of Locke and the others that we see as they're introduced and and, and begin to change. The, the the rest of the people, their whole mission was to get off the island. Yep. This episode flips that, and the show turns in a different direction from this point on. Yep. Now, I guess it's obviously it's long enough. We're not doing uh, spoiler alerts here, but we're talking about the cliffhanger ending of this show is what really makes this probably one of the best examples of what Lost was capable of doing by uh, subverting your expectations and then coming at you from a completely un, uh, unexpected direction. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right with that. It definitely does uh, take it to another direction. And to give a little backstory on what's going on here, everybody from the camp, these people that crashed on the from Oceanic 815, they crash-landed on the island and they've been trying to get off ever since they've got there and they finally feel like they have got away because this random woman naomi has landed on the island with a transponder little satellite phone that isn't connecting because something's jamming her signal well if she gets up to the radio tower it's high enough on the island that she should be able to radio for a boat as long as they can uh unjam the signal well, everybody from the island goes up there, and uh, while that's going on, Charlie and Desmond go out to the Looking Glass, which we'll get into that in a little bit, right. uh, which is an underwater station, which is sending out this jamming signal beacon, 
and eventually get around to shutting it off. And they call for help, and they, they get a hold of this freighter that's offshore somewhere that can't find this island. And once the freighter has a lock on where the satellite phone's coming from, uh, we expect them to be coming in by the end, by the beginning of season four. So that's that's right. the very bare bones of what's going on in this episode. Uh, but without, I guess we'll come back to the to the the ending. Yes, because I think that's that's the climax. But uh, going back and jumping in like this to the direct middle of the entire series, mm-hmm. and I have not watched Lost. I think Joey. Several years ago, started watching it. I think I watched several of the episodes with him through season one, but I didn't sit down. I wasn't watching them actively, and so it's been since it went off the air. I don't know that I've ever gone back through and rewatched it again. I have. I have at least done it once. I think I started, like I said, with Joey, and then uh, it just didn't didn't go all the way through. But I forgot how much I love these characters. Oh yeah, uh, I forgot how much I loved Hurley and Charlie and. Uh, Crystal's never forgotten how much she loves Sawyer. That's uh, right. <laughs> that's her guy. But uh, yeah, I really did forgot. I had forgotten how much I loved these people. And that's the beauty of Lost. And I don't know if they were the first show to do this, but they have a each episode they go have this flashback of each right. character, starting with Jack, who played by Matthew Fox, Jack Shepard, former neurosurgeon. Uh, well, he is a neurosurgeon. And it talks about stuff that's going on in his past before he got to the island. And then right. then they go on, and you got Kate and Sawyer, like you said, Hurley, Son and Jen, and Saeed, and Charlie, and Claire, and Rose and Bernard, even. And, you know, it tells all these different backstories of what they did off the island, and it just makes you care for that character that much more. And like I said, I don't know if they're the first ones to do it, but... They definitely did it probably the best. And I don't know if you ever watched Orange is the New Black, but they kind of went off this template lost set. I like the first season of it, and I was like, ah, this is just not for me. Yeah, uh, it, it was good, but not amazing. Yeah, The one you left off there, though, the one that the flashback that was the most, I think the most shocking at the time was Locke. Locke, yeah, I skipped right over his name. But yeah, Locke is one of the main central characters of the show. Because Locke... He was in a wheelchair before he got here. Right. He was he was crippled. And so he's the only one on this island that doesn't want to leave because all of a sudden right. once they crash, he can walk again. And he is taking every last advantage of this cuz he knows this island's special cuz how come I can feel my legs and walk again when I've been confined to a wheelchair for the last several years. Right. And I think the the it's not you're not overstating it by saying that the writing on this show was not just good, but revolutionarily good. Yeah, they they knew. I what think they were it doing. changed the way TV operates. I really do mm-hmm. because it was such a phenomenon. They did such a good job of sucking you in every single week. And see, this is all you youngins out there. Listen, this is before shows dropped whole seasons on Netflix at a, you know at one time, and you can binge them all the way through. You had to wait a week. You spent that that show ends, and the next thing you know, you're calling your friends, and you're saying, "What just happened? What's going on?" And you yeah. have your own theories going on, and it's the antis. I think that's something that's lost in the streaming. Now, I binge when something comes out, and I want to watch. You know, so I do it. But I think there's something lost. There's almost like a uh, a participation element to it when you have to wait, and everyone else you know has to wait to watch that next episode, and. 
after this episode, the way this episode ended, you spent the whole summer wondering what are we what is going on what is happening and that is a tribute to the writers of this show and the show directors too the showrunners i think jj abrams was a the executive producer of this show yep and so you had great talent and you really did care and these characters were not only uh interesting but they were true to who their character was and they stayed that way. There was changes. You saw changes happen to, uh, of course, to to uh, Locke, to John Locke. Definitely had some changes happen to him. But the dynamics in between the group would change the same way they do in normal life. Yeah, a lot of these people do change uh, throughout the show. I feel like Jack. But was- they're changes that are organic and believable. They 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 fit storyline. Yeah, Jack is the main character, but he's one I feel like changed almost the least on the show. Uh, but you got people like Sawyer, who's this hates everybody bad guy, and but he's beloved by the end of this show, even because he is just a deep down a good person. But you don't right. you don't feel that at first. Kate Austin, who's on the run for killing her husband, and yeah. she she crashes on this island, and she has this resurgence, a, a do over, and becomes better. And like you said, with Locke Hurley. He always felt like he was a dummy, and he has uh, flashes of brilliance in this show. Saeed, who was a Iraqi interrogator, you know? Yeah. Worst of the worst, you know? And he wanted to put that life behind him, and you could tell that in the way he approaches everything in this show. Uh, Charlie as a heroin addict and trying to get his next fix as soon as possible. Forced to get clean on this island. And for a yeah, while, for a while, but until they find that airplane, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he had he had his ups and downs, but uh, right. he definitely went off with a a great send off. The, the 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 writers and the the showrunners were so adept at making sure you were invested in all these different stories that were swirling around as one big story of what is this island. Yep. You know, what's going on with the island? Why can't they get off this island? Why why is all this happening to them? But that's the overarching story. Yep. And for the first three seasons, that was what like we talked about already, that progressive story was them trying to get off the island. And I think it was genius of them to just, you know, like, hey, this isn't Gilligan's Island. We're not gonna spend, you know, year after year watching them try unsuccessfully to get off the island. And the switch they made with this episode being the turning point where the focus now wasn't just getting off the island, it was understanding the island. Yeah. And I thought that was brilliant of them to do it that way. And they still managed to make that switch, but also still keep us interested in all these interpersonal relationships that are going yeah. on with the people, the the power moves, the you know, the the different, you know, belief systems that are starting to spout sprout up. John Locke becomes a full on disciple of the island as this show goes on and it's just it's made for great tv terry it's very entertaining and very well done and i don't know how many emmys they got but they should have had all of them for this six-year run it was pretty amazing it was pretty amazing uh i think my main focus in this episode i i cared more about what was going on with charlie and desmond going down into that hidden station called the looking glass 
right and trying to turn off that beacon i was more invested in that because you really got to see dominic monahan who plays charlie really strut his acting chops i thought he was great down there uh he was just fantastic and a little backstory to that charlie is told by desmond on the island who all of a sudden is having these uh flashes like he's able to see the future and Right. Just a few days in advance. And he keeps seeing Charlie die in these flashes. And when he's about to see it happen, he saves Charlie over and over and over again. And then finally he tells Charlie about it. And he's like, no matter what, what I do, you're going to die, Charlie. And you're like, oh, dang, you know it's coming. And you're just wondering how it's going to happen. And then the episode right before this, he tells Charlie... You, we see you. You're in a room. Uh, it's filled with water. There's a flashing yellow light, and then nothing. And well, come to find out, that's down in the looking glass, and that flashing light is the signal that's blocking the uh, what do you call it? the what I just say it was blocking the signals transmission the transmissions yeah. yeah, and so you got you got him down there and just the whole setup for that scene was great desmond finally coming to after because he Des, desmond was supposed to do this himself but charlie knocked him out <laughs> with an oar and dove down there and swam himself because desmond was trying to save him again well desmond finally comes to wakes up goes down there manages to get in without getting seen and hides for a while and yeah once that once uh that mikhail comes in there with his eye patch and Right. He just starts. He's mad because he didn't know about this place. He didn't think it was operable. Ah, uh, yeah. He he kills the two women down there. So now you're like, oh my gosh. So maybe Charlie will get to turn off this uh, beacon. And he gets into that room, and you're thinking, okay, it's just Desmond and Charlie in here now because we saw Mikhail get killed by a harpoon. And one thing about that scene, he has to play the tune to Good Vibrations on a 16-digit keypad. Right. That that one was like, oh come on, it was programmed by a musician. I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, if it was a key, that was a, that was a little cutesy. Yeah, if it was a piano in there or something, or a little tiny electric keyboard that he had to do it on, I'd buy that. But when you got a key, <laughs> a 16 digit keypad, how is he going to do that? Anyways, Charlie manages to get the beacon stop, and he turns around and sees Mikhail had gotten out of the station and is floating away and knows he's dead, so he just, instead of just dying, he pulls a grenade and lets it explode right outside the window where Charlie is, filling the room with water. And I don't know why. I I remember why now. He was going to try to leave that room, but Desmond was coming in when he saw Penelope Widmore, his long-lost love, on the screen there. He's like, Penny? Penny and he starts running. Charlie's like, "Nope, we. If you come in here, you're, we're gonna die." And he locks locks uh, Desmond out. And that's well, before all that happened. He had gotten a hold of Penny on this screen, and he's telling him, "Oh, are you on the boat? Did you send the boat?" Uh, Naomi said there was a boat, and she says, "Who's Naomi? No, what boat?" And so, with his last gasp of air, Charlie writes on his hand. And puts it up to the window for uh, Desmond C. Not Penny's boat, and you're just and you and you know that's the moment Charlie's gonna die, and you're just like, oh my gosh, 
And that got me so much in that scene right there. I was it killed me because I liked the Charlie character, and that's my right. That I had to pick a bad, and that was my bad this week was because Charlie dying too soon. But I had to pick something. But what a way to go on the highest right. rated episode of the entire series. I know I rambled on a lot. It's just if- that's okay. It's setting up that story, and because and again. The whole focus of the first three years of this, the first three seasons of this show is them trying to get off the island, and that boat being out there was their best chance so far, and it was billed as this is their savior. This is, and and the character, I can't remember, you said her name, what was her name that uh, was the, she wasn't who she said she was, that had the satellite phone. Naomi. Naomi, yeah. Naomi, they, she, they think she's on their side and trying to help oh, them. Oh, she's a sweetheart to them. Yeah, and it turns out it's not she's not what she appears to be, and so Charlie holding up that sign, not Penny's boat. All of a sudden, you're like, "Oh my gosh, what's happening?" And then you have Locke telling him, and Ben telling Jack and the uh, the rest of the survivors that don't make that call, do not trust them. And then when you see that it's not Penny's boat, and you realize that those people were right and Jack was wrong. Um, yeah. Then you it, it it's like it's it gives you the shock. So yeah, that's a great part. That's a, that's that that's the climax of that part of the story yeah. in that in that episode. We're gonna get to the rest of it a little bit later. But I also want to talk about another great things about this episode is I love the tension between Sawyer and Kate. Yeah. Yeah. They uh, because all of a sudden you have this thing where they've had this you know they were part of this love triangle with with Jack for so long and she's been you know. Let's say she hasn't been consistent in her feelings, so to yep. speak. But I like the the fact that all of a sudden you're seeing a serious side of Sawyer where he's not messing around anymore. He's you know he's not playing games. He's not even calling her freckles anymore. And she calls him. It's like since when do you call me Kate? Yeah, and you know because he's he's not really messing around anymore. I thought that was a great part of this episode too. Yeah, I he uh, they had their little soiree in a cage while they were trapped by with the others. And I believe they had another little gathering in a, a bedroom of one of the other's houses later on as well. So I think that may yeah, be true. Yes. Uh, so they are very familiar with each other in a way that Jack right. and Kate are not uh, yet. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he just he he's got the like you said a serious tone about him, and he he's not messing around. He wants he doesn't want her to go down and possibly get killed on that beach. He wants to do it himself he feels like he has to and yeah that, that was a, that was a good tension in there i like the hurley was- hurley thing too though i mean hurley yeah. comes it, let's let's rewind a little bit uh sawyer says he's going back and jack said no you can't and he said i and he said i'm not asking <laughs> i'm going right and juliet said i'll go with you i know where there's guns and when we find out juliet says there's no guns but uh, okay, here comes Hurley running in, saying, "Hey guys, wait up! Hurley's a big guy. He's like three hundred pounds, and just hey, I want to help. Let me help." And then Sawyer's just like, "Hurley, Hurley, you're just too big. You're just gonna get in the way." And that, of course, that he bums them out, and they sneak down to the beach. And you're like, "All right, how are we gonna do this here?" And all of a sudden, you hear that van rustling through the woods that they found many episodes ago and he runs over one of the others and you're just like oh my god Hurley <laughs> the day it's Hurley who's supposed to be kind of just the friendly dumb guy on the island and yeah I like the fact that he got uh, a little bit of her- heroism in his 
uh, storyline. Yeah. I really do love Hurley. He was one of my favorite characters on the show. <laughs> He's such a likable, lovable character. He just wanted right. nothing happened to him. Yeah. He's almost got that puppy dog vibe where, you know, it, I can handle anything happening in the show, but if something bad happens to Hurley, it's going to it's gonna wreck me. Yeah, and they didn't, never did let anything happen to him, so. No. Uh, also, the uh, there's the tension between Jack and Ben in this episode. Oh, gosh. Let's just first off talk about how amazing Michael Emerson is as an actor on this show. He played yes. the character of Benjamin Linus. And he played that role so well. He just he standout actor on this show, and he played the antagonist throughout. And nobody understood why he was so evil. But yeah, go ahead, uh, Ben and Jack. No, it is. It's just that watching them, you know, butt heads like that. And I've always felt for Jack from the beginning when I first started watching the show because I don't think he ever planned on being any kind of a leader. Yeah, but in the moment that it, the plane crashed, he was a doctor. It obviously put him in a in an important spot in that group because people were hurt and they needed his help. And he kind of had this role of leader thrust on him. And then you know, obviously, like Sawyer challenged him. Locke would eventually challenge him on many things as well. Well, Locke started challenging fairly early on. Yeah, but Jack always kind of carried this demeanor about him where it was he was a reluctant leader but you're starting to see by season three him really kind of accept that role and his the way he has to butt heads with the others and with ben i think it's a really good performance for for jack too trying to and but the 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 heartbreaking part is that he's wrong yeah and ben is right and we've, we're so accustomed to you know, Ben being this evil, manipulative, heartless character, and Jack's a, you know, a heroic figure. Even with all his flaws, he's still a heroic figure, and you do believe that he's trying to do the best he can with the hand he's been dealt. Yeah. And so you're pulling for him. You want him to succeed. You want him to do the right thing. You want everything to work out for him and to find out that he's absolutely wrong. And that the people that he distrusts the most had tried to tell him he was wrong, and it's our first example of Jack, a real chink in his armor is his pride. Yes. And he would not be told he was wrong, and he dug in at the wrong time, and it's you know it was catastrophic. And it's funny you say the pride, because a lot of the flashbacks from Jack and previous episodes really demonstrate the fact that he is a very prideful person. He... Uh, does not like to lose. He wants to solve everything. He he has to be right. And so many words. But like there was a woman that he ended up marrying that he operated on who was supposed to be paralyzed from the waist down and he managed to save her from being paralyzed. And he did right. the surgery when nobody said he should or thought he should because it's a lost cause. And he poured his heart and soul into it only for her to walk again. So now he thinks he can do anything. So like you said, pride, He's he thinks his way is the right way. Yes. I really thought that uh, this was a great, and like I said, this is such a great season finale show because you do have all these things coming to a head that are going to propel the show forward. Jack's uh, being knocked down a little bit and 
and losing some of his shine. You start to wonder what it really wonder what you know more even more so what Ben is up to, what he knows, what's going on, and and you know Locke also is now. I mean, he's always been antagonistic with Jack, but now he he actually points a gun at him and and he doesn't pull the trigger. But you know that there's going to be more to that, and that becomes one of the the premier head to head battles for the rest of the show as well. Uh, Jack versus Locke. And all contained in this one, well, it's a two-parter, but in this season finale, and I thought this, and again, it's just phenomenal the way they put it together. Yeah, absolutely. And back to Ben a little bit, man. He, going, knowing what you know going into this episode, and you, by that time this is over, you knew what was going to happen. You remembered what was going to happen, right? Because right. you'd seen this show. Uh Going into that and watching the way Ben acts throughout it, it's like you're thinking he's right this whole time. Right. He's trying, he's pleading, he's begging, but he has built up so much distrust in him that no one's gonna believe him. <laughs> and it's it's one of those things where you just kind of wish, well, if you were trying to fix this universe, you wish that the others would have just all swarmed in on the island and said, hey. We have a uh, village over here that we live on. We live here permanently. We have contact with the outside world. You know, we're going to help you out. No, it wasn't anything like that. It was all this, we don't know who they are. We're going to keep our distance. We're going to send in spies. So, yeah, Ben built up a lot of distrust. But, man, watching him plead and then John Locke plead with Jack. He wanted to shoot Jack to get him to stop, but he just couldn't do it because Locke's not a killer of good people right and he knows jack had the best intentions but man yeah i just love the acting by ben so good he just got the tar beat out of him and his his daughter on the show i already forgot her name uh god why can't alex alex uh was right there and jack brought him back all beaten to death after they had their little talk he's on the ground and <laughs> he looks up. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Alex, this is your mother. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Danielle, who had been hiding on the island for 16 years away from the others because she knew they were dangerous, finally gets to meet her daughter that has been taken away from her for her entire right. life. So that was that was interesting. Yeah, it's... Uh- you forget just how vile Ben was. And like I said, I hadn't seen the episode again for a while, and I haven't watched the show for a while. But this was a great way of reminding myself just how much that guy – he was like Joffrey. You hated him that much. Yeah. You hated him on the same level that you hated King Joffrey from uh, Game of Thrones. And, and, and so the way the show goes, and by the end of the show – shows run you kind of feel for ben you feel like they have even a flashback for ben and show him how he became who he is and why he became who he is he had an abusive father he had uh a lot of distrust in what was going on with the original dharma initiative because these because the others are not the dharma initiative <laughs> they were island native well i guess, i wouldn't say natives but they are from the island and uh, 
so it's like he killed off all the Dharma Initiative because of right. he didn't like the way they did things. And so it's like you think he's evil, but at the same time, he feels like he's doing the right thing. And that's that's one... Uh, dangerous combination. It's a dangerous combination, for sure. It's kind of a Thanos-like com- combination. Right. I'm doing the right thing, but it, making lots of bad choices. It's going to hurt a lot of people. Yeah. And, man, the, the weird mysteries of this island, they're all over the place. And, I, like we said before we started this, you're not going to understand any of this unless you've seen the show. So, I'm sorry. It makes no sense. Uh, well, it doesn't make sense to people who know the show. That was the whole thing. We, we, even if you watched the show, you were lost half the time. Yes. Oh, man. Gosh. And so, well, let's... uh. Before we get too much further, let's go ahead and, and finish out through the end of the show here before we get too far away from it. I want to talk about... We talked about how the they make the call to the boat, and then you see Charlie down in the looking glass, and he... He reveals to Desmond that it's not Penny's boat, meaning they've been lied to and they're in danger. Yep. And that ends the islands, the island portion of this episode. But then we, throughout this episode, Jack's been having flashbacks where he's dealing with something, dealing with you know drinking and drug use. You can tell he's been wrecked. And uh, he contemplates suicide in one of the flashbacks. And that's how he ends up saving somebody's life because there was a car accident right by. Mm-hmm. And so he's able to help save them. And he's just, you can tell he's spiraling. He's falling apart. And you don't really know why as you're seeing these flashbacks as they go throughout the show. You're not sure why it's going on. And then at the, after we get the Not Penny's boat, we see him getting ready to meet somebody at the airport. And like I said, these are all flashbacks that we've been seeing through all. We talked about them earlier, all these flashbacks from other characters. And so, and I'll never forget that feeling when out of the shadows on this flashback, it's Kate walking up to meet him. Who's never met him before this flight. They'd never met before the flight. And she's like, what? What is going on? And then all of a sudden he says, we weren't supposed to leave. And you're floored. You're like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, she's like, yes, we were. And so, and then he says, we have to go back, Kate. We have to go back. And you're realizing that this is not a flashback. This was a flash forward. They had flipped the script on us. Mm-hmm. And they. I remember being totally suckered in on, at this point. Oh, yeah. And just, just in shock, trying to figure out what in the world is going on why this happened and then and then you know it makes sense because you realize they did get off the island Mm -hmm. and we had just been we just spent this whole episode where you know the we find out that that the whole the boat is not what they are expecting that they've been lied to and that's that they leave us on the island part knowing we've been lied to and we're in danger and all of a sudden in a flash forward realize wait a minute they got off the island but now they want to go back now, and then you realize that everything he's been doing has been falling apart. Because he even tells you, he says, I've been flying back and forth, back and forth, just hoping for another crash. Yep. And that's so depressing. It is. And you're like, well, why does he have to get back? Why does he feel that strong? Why doesn't she yeah. feel that strong? Who else got off the island? Yeah. So this is the, one of the best cliffhangers in history. Yeah, and Kate also says, I need to go. Uh, he's going to wonder where I'm at. And you're wondering, who's right. he? <laughs> who's he? <laughs> We find out eventually it was actually Claire's baby Aaron, which is 
<laughs> kind of ridiculous, but yeah. Anyways, we're not gonna get to dive into all that, but it's, it, it's wild because, like you said, we're jumping into the future, which was not lost uh, game plan as a show. No, this You're, was brand new. So yeah, it was and a heck like of a said, way to end it. It was a turning point for the whole show, and. That because like I said, after that the tone changes. Now you don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Now you don't know if you're seeing the past or you're seeing the future or you're seeing imagination. And um, of course, Lost also you know falls victim to to something that's that well loved. You're never going to stick the landing that everybody loves. Yeah, and I you know some of the stuff didn't didn't pan out probably the best, but as as it finished, but man, this was as perfect as this show could get. Yeah. Was this episode. It was pretty darn good. It left you not just wanting more. It left you thinking, like, how am I going to get through the summer without finding out what's going on? It was that level. Yep. I, I put it up there with um, when the Night Watch killed Jon Snow oh, at the end of the season. And I'm like, how? No. I can't. This can't be. No. They can't do this to us. They, yeah. They killed and, Ned Stark at the beginning of the end of the first season. You're yeah. like, he's the main character. <laughs> right. How is this happening? So... That was, uh, like I said, probably one of the best cliffhangers because you knew there was something else they weren't telling you. Now, with Jon Snow's death, you know, you thought, oh, my God, they killed off another character, which Game of Thrones was known for. But uh, with this one, it opened up. You thought you had questions before about this show, about what was going on. Now you're like, the amount of questions I had before is less than half of the questions I have now after seeing another episode. It was just crazy. Yep. All right, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about... I had one bad, Terry. Did you have other good that you wanted to address? The build-up to this finale. I remember watching season three thinking it was the strongest season of all the show. of course, yeah. And the build-up to this episode was incredible. And you actually finally felt like there was hope that they were going to be able to get off this island. And uh, they really messed with you at the end on that, too, because not only do they first tell, make you think you get, it's getting taken away, then they say, no, we're giving it to you, but it's not what you want. <laughs> exactly. And, and Well put. Yes. Well put. So it was very good. I had one bad, um, and that was in one of Jack's, well, flash forwards we find out, he's at the hospital. You can tell he's obviously just having you know, a mental break or he's just – he's yeah. He's deteriorating. Yeah. And, and he uh opioid addiction. I don't know. Yeah, he's addicted to pills. He's drinking. And he walks into, I guess, just he, he walks just and just grabs a handful of oxycotton. Yeah. And uh it just puts it in his pocket. Now, that was a little easy to get. He had the key. But he even doctors don't have keys to all that. He wouldn't have had because he wasn't he I don't even think he was uh employed at the hospital at that time, was he? No, but uh, he's got enough. He probably was able to get his hands on the keys or something. He Somehow. I, I, I just thought when I, I was watching can. it, that jumped out when that scene happened where he just like, nobody's around guarding it. You know, it's it, and so I'm just like. Yeah. Pills were a little bit more accessible 15, 20 years ago. They they have it definitely a lot more locked down than they used to. Okay. I, it, that jumped out at me. I was I'm trying to nitpick something. Um, and finally, you know, did you have a bad? Well, I, I said said Charlie being killed off was a bad. I actually, had that as an ugly. I forgot. But no, my my, okay. my bad was uh, 
And it's a very nit- big nitpick. Matthew Fox's acting was a little over the top on this episode, in my opinion. It was because sometimes yeah. on this show he's spot on, but this one felt like he was going for it a little, little too much. My ugly is tangentially related to that. Uh, was not a fan of Jack's beard. No, but specifically how fake the mustache looked. <laughs> It almost looked like he grew a Fu Manchu and then they stenciled in around it. <laughs> it was a weird looking beard. And that would have been the only ugly I have from this episode. It's a very weird looking beard. Right. And uh so it's not as not as uh uh depressing as you're ugly of Charlie dying, but I could not get past every time he was on screen on those flash forwards, I was like, that somebody should have vetted this a little bit better because that mustache looks awful. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that great for I agree. Okay. I do have some facts. You wanna hear? Alright, yeah. I wasn't expecting facts. Go ahead. Alright, the final scene, which reveals that the flashback is actually a flash forward to uh life after the survivors are off the island, was kept a secret even from the show's cast. Only Matthew Fox and Evangeline Lilly, the two actors in the scene, knew about it before the episode aired. So they didn't even... The rest of the cast had no clue that was going to happen. Even as Uh, the rest of the world was finding out, they found out with them. That's pretty awesome. That's hard to keep those things secret. Yeah, so that's pretty impressive. That's Tom Holland. (laughs) Jeez. So, yeah, all those other scenes Jack was filming, thinking everybody's thinking it's flashbacks. No, and then they find out that that one scene with Kate, they didn't know that happened. (laughs) So, and it's dark and on a back lot somewhere. Yeah, it's at night. Everybody's nobody's there, so they're like, "Hey, we're gonna bring you all in about ten o'clock tonight. We're gonna shoot the scene." (laughs) All right, well done. Yeah, exactly. Well done. Next fact here: Sarah, Jack's ex-wife, wasn't originally pregnant uh, in the script. But when Julie Bowen, the actress, showed up on set, they decided not to cover her pregnancy because it was more painful to Jack to see how his ex-wife had moved on in her life. Oh, uh, that's that's good. So that's very good. It was a happy little accident for the writer. So like, you know what? We like that. Let's keep that. <laughs> what you yeah. want then? All right. This one, you, I'm sure you already know. Uh, the name of the Looking Glass station is a reference to the child children's book entitled Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll, in which changes in time are a prevalent theme. Consequently, the name of the Looking Glass station could be viewed as a plot device intended to symbolize a transition from the use of flashbacks to events prior to the crash of Oceanic 815 to the use of flash forwards depicting the lives of Oceanic 6 after the rescue from the island. Yes. that uh, I didn't catch that, obviously, in real time watching it, but I had heard that since, that that's why they named it The Looking Glass. Yeah. I uh, and my, my The rest of my facts are just clues throughout the episode that we are looking at a flash forward as opposed to a flashback then that, that the writers, are, they had sprinkled in throughout the episode where you knew, okay. where if you would have seen it, are really honed in on it you might have figured it out the first clue that the flashbacks are actually flash forwards is jack's cell phone when he is in his truck on the bridge he gets out a cell phone model that was released the year the episode aired 
several years after the flashbacks would have occurred. Oh, nice. At nice touch. First clue. Next clue. This one, I, I remember hearing this right after the episode aired. I was like, I'm glad somebody figured it out right away. Is a cleverly placed anagram. The name of the funeral parlor that Jack drives up to is called the Hoff's Drawler Funeral Parlor. Hoff's Drawler is an anagram for Flash Forward. Oh, wow. I would have never caught that. Never would have caught that. But it's cool that it was there, and you go back cool and watch it. And you're like, come on. Uh, another possible clue in the original version of the episode is that this one is one of the few instances where a previously on Lost segment was not included. So the original version that aired for all of America, there was no previously. Oh, no kidding. That came on the, D- that that came on the DVDs and streaming. So that's huh. like, well, yeah, it's not previous because it's hasn't happened yet. <laughs> right. It's future. It's future. So I like that. That was something. And then one more thing that I noticed watching this episode, and I was like, yeah, go me for finding this. I noticed a map in Jack's apartment while he's all strung out and upset. It had it was a map on the wall of like on the right you had North America and South America on the right you had Asia and Australia and right in the middle you had the Pacific Ocean. And there were thumbtacks around the kind of where the flight path was from the mid part of Pacific Ocean to the more to the south. It's almost as if he was researching their flight path afterwards and you didn't know why but if you know why it's like why is why why has he got thumbtacks up on the the map there well well, what's going on here and so it's another clue that this is in the future why would he do that ahead of time it's a good point so i think one of the ones that the clues that they threw right out in everybody's face and we just accepted it because we are so used to being twisted it was the fact we'd never seen jack with a beard before Exactly. That was another one. That one you you can accept as a uh, yeah. That's what flashback. I'm saying. They they had twisted us. They had twisted us so many times. Like, oh well, this must be a time in his life when he had a beard. Yeah. But he had never had a beard before. So it was something. It was something. I had a couple final questions. Okay. Uh, I tried to keep it specifically to this episode, but the second question does take in a whole the whole series, but. When he's at the hospital and he's confronted by this other doctor asking him, you know, basically, are you sober? I don't remember the, actually the quote was. No. But he says, I'll tell you what, you go upstairs and bring my dad down. And if I'm drunker than him, then you can fire me right now. Yeah. Now, this is the future. Yeah, his dad's dead. His dad's dead. How could his dad be alive if this is the future? The whole He was going to – his dad's body was on that plane. Yeah. When they crashed originally, yep. So how does that line fit in? Now, did they just throw that in there to try to try to keep us thinking that this is in the past? But if so, I think it's an error. No, he's high on dope and he's stupid right now. He's just saying lots of words, and I think he just says it because he's so effed up that he he just said it. You know, I don't know. Okay, I'm, that's where I, I stretched it to. Think that the drugstore. That's to a blame. pretty reasonable response. That, uh, that's a believable response. But they kind of let it hang out in the air, and maybe they didn't realize that we'd all be watching this on streaming services, you know, 
15 years later and, yep. and still rewatching it. Maybe they thought they could sneak that one past us. I think they left it as a to try to firmly entrench you in the thought that they're still in the past because we know that his dad is dead. Yeah. Uh, but I like that your excuse might be, your, your reasoning might be, it's certainly plausible, that's for sure. Maybe what the writers were thinking. All right, now this is because I've not watched Lost Again in a long time, and not to give away the whole series. Anyway, there's no spoiler alerts here because this is an old show, but we realized that they were all dead. Yep. That this whole story has been basically a form of purgatory almost for them. Okay? Yep. Now, there were characters that were not on the plane. Mm-hmm. And there were characters that weren't even on the island. Namely, when we think of it, was Penny. Yep. Was Penny dead the whole time, too? No, Penny's alive. She's got to be alive. So how was she interacting with them if she's alive and they're dead? I don't know. How are they interacting with everybody after they get off the island? It's their form of purgatory. This whole, their whole life is. I don't know. Well, what I... The the show ends with the fact that they all died in that plane crash. Yeah, and that this is all afterlife. Yeah, and that's uh, all in their mind of what's going on. I'm I'm assuming they're all sharing this other world that they're in. I guess I'm just wondering: is if was Penny another soul in purgatory? I don't think so. I think uh, Desmond was what well, Desmond died right because well they were all dead. The whole well, Desmond wasn't on the flight. Desmond got to the island by sailboat. Right, but what I'm saying is, is this whole island doesn't exist. Yeah. This is all... The, 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 the flight, when it crashes, everybody died. Yeah. And so each of these people are, however you want to view it, from what point you want to view the afterlife, if they're either in uh, you know, the Catholic idea of pur- purgatory, where you've got to either atone for your sins or come to grips with who you are, I'm not sure how the exact teaching of purgatory is, but in a in a you know more secular sense, they've got to kind of come to grips. I saw it as being they've got to come to grips with who they are before they can pass on to the next place. Yeah, um, this is obviously not strict Christian theology that they're using on this show. But if they're all, if, if let's say for example, if Jack died on that plane crash, then he's not talking to anybody who's alive. He's dead. Yeah. It's all in his head. Yep. And so if they're all there, I'm just curious, was you know, was Penny also just another soul who was dead and this was just worked into the story to help work, you know, for these people to get through purgatory? I say I don't understand that part. I think in general she's alive, but everybody knows who Penny is and that that's that's Desmond's long lost love, so they're all familiar with who Penny is and should be. So I the, okay. the interactions I think were all in all their heads or in the purgatory, while actual Penelope's out there alive and well, just like okay. just like all these other characters that they run into. Hugo runs into his whole family after he gets off the plane, you know, uh, and just all the different people they interact with back home. They're okay. they're they're not dead either. They're they're back home except for Michael. Michael was a wild card there. I can't remember how that played out. Michael was on the boat. That's right. He was on the freighter. Okay. All right. That was it. Did you have any other final questions? I didn't. Well, let's move on to our Rushmore then because we decided to keep it simple for this one. Uh, we're going to do our favorite lost storylines. 
yep. as our Mount Rushmore. Uh, I don't know. It'd be interesting. I'm interested, Terry, how you took the idea of a storyline because I know how I took it, and uh, we'll see if we intersect at all. Okay. Okay. I'll start it off. My one of my favorite storylines from Lost was the Hatch from season one. The Hatch. Uh, I specifically didn't make my list. I had put the numbers. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah that's along good too. with the, all the hidden things throughout the show and all the mystery, mysterious things that happen. But the numbers in particular, for some reason, stood out. And what's so great about those numbers is they sprinkle them in when you don't even notice them a lot of times right. throughout the show. And eagle-eyed viewers are the only ones that are going to pick up on it. And I love the fact that they took such care with those details. And you made you think the numbers are important. Why are they so important? We eventually find out they're the thing that Jacob has to do, turn this wheel or something to... I, right. I can't remember. Well, what find I loved out. about the hatch was it was uh, it, it, it's almost like leveling up for the show because you've been stuck on the side. Now you realize there's another world that they've not yet discovered. And that's what intrigued me about the storyline of the hatch. Mm-hmm. And so, Terry, you said your first one was the numbers. Well, they just go along with it, but yeah, numbers and the numbers in general just kept me intrigued throughout. Because anytime I saw them, like, oh my gosh, there's the numbers again, and there's always somebody out there trying to figure out what the heck the numbers were, and doing mathematicians out there trying to figure it out. It was wild. All right, well, so that was your that was your but the hatch was so- the hatch was great because. John Locke knew he had to get in that hatch, and he was going to find a way in there, and eventually they found a way to blow that thing apart to end season one, only to find out someone's down in that hatch and has been this whole time. Right. Entering numbers into a computer every, what, 148 minutes or hour hour 48 minutes or something like that? I can't remember now. I don't remember. Yeah, it was was very specific, and I don't remember what it was now. (laughs) It might have been just 48 minutes. It was was weird. And that sound... it was a the beeping sound from that was just the checkout counter when you scan an item. Boop, boop, yep. boop, boop, and you're oh gosh, absolutely. The uh, next up on my list for my Rushmore is the Jack Sawyer Kate love triangle. Yeah, um, I loved because they it was realistic. You you felt for Kate because she saw. Something in both men that she was attracted to, of course, and they're diametrically opposed people. Jack is, well, in many ways. In some ways, they're they're a lot alike. Their yeah. ego is, you know, they both have massive ego. They're both, which, you know, alpha males, but they've taken drastically different paths in life. And the fact that Kate is torn between the two of them, I think, is just a great story. It was, and it was fun to watch. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, but yeah, I. Jax is supposed to be this goody two-shoe. You feel like he's a goody two-shoe at the beginning of the show while Sawyer's this horrible bad boy who just doesn't care for anybody. And it's funny kind of how they start on opposite ends of the spectrum and they slowly kind of come get closer and how similar right. they are because you learn so much about me. It's one of those things like we're all like if you dig deep enough. We're all like, and then you, right. you see that kind of throughout the show builds and why Kate's divided on who has her heart more than the other. So good That's pick. A good point. And yeah, good pick. 
All right, so next up for you, Terry, what's next on your run? I'm just going to go and say the opposite of that. A different one was the Desmond and Penny love story that dragged on okay. from the second season all the way to the end. And there was something I like something about Desmond. I was rooting so hard for him. He's got this woman that he is just he would lay down his life for just to kind of love right there and he loves her so much. She loves him so much. And the one thing standing in their way, her dad, who is an extremely wealthy, powerful man. And he goes and does everything he can to try to prove that he's worthy of his daughter. And that ends up being ultimately his demise by ending up crashing on that island, which in turn we learn that is actually he died somewhere in between. Well, in some sort of round the world sailing trip, I think I can't or one man sailing trip, I don't know. But anyways, Desmond, he's just one of the most likable characters on the show. He's just got a charm about him, and Penny's just lovable. She's a sweet, nice, good person. And when you at the end of this episode, he he she said, "Did you say Desmond?" And her eyes get all wide, like. I've been like she's been searching for him this entire time, right. and you're just like, oh man! And Desmond's right over there. He's right over there. And Desmond, he's right here. Uh, Penny, you know. And Desmond's like, did you say Penny? He comes running. And then the the bomb blows up, and it's like, right. Oh no! Now they can't talk. And it's like, oh, you just feel for both of them. But eventually, they reunite. Eventually, but it's. In the end, you find out it's not meant to be all together, but right. Uh, but that's a good one. I, li- I like that. I I, I I I like Desmond a lot on this show. At first, I was kind of like, "Oh, this is this new guy?" But the more that character went on, the more he became one of my favorites. Okay. Yeah, I like Desmond a lot too. Uh, next up on my rock, Mount Rushmore would be Locke versus Jack. I loved that uh, that dynamic between those two. Um, they, they carried all the way through the end of the show. and uh, It was a good dynamic, and it was ne- necessary for storytelling, but it got on my nerves <laughs> a little bit. Really? Because it's like, gosh, guys. Go figure. Something I like, Terry doesn't like. Well, come on. I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect. <laughs> uh, but they just, it was getting to the point of like, oh, my gosh, will you guys find a freaking middle ground somewhere in here? But I get it. We had to have tension to move the story forward. That's just how it had to be. I get it. My other Rushmore next one was John Locke, period, throughout the show. But like I said, going from a wheelchair, magically healed by the island, and then you learn how he got put in the wheelchair by his dad pushing him out of a window from several stories up after Locke had just donated a kidney to save his life, and you're thinking, oh, man, this is nuts. And... Did we find out that his dad's not that wasn't really his dad in the first? That was yeah, it wasn't even it wasn't even his dad. The guy conned him. We find out that guy was actually Sawyer's dad or something. I can't remember. It's been so long since I've seen the show, but he had some sort of tie with Sawyer, and it. But that was that was wild. But then uh, his blind faith in protecting the island by any means necessary. He was committed to the island in a way that no one else that in that crash was. And that that was something that was interesting because you, you want to follow him. You want to see why 
he's he's like this. Some it gets to the point where you're kind of annoyed with him at times, but then you realize it's for a good reason. <laughs> what I love and and that's great about Locke is that him and Jack their uh, tension comes from Locke being a man of faith and Jack being a man of science. Yeah, I think it's even the name Locke of an believes. episode once. <laughs> yeah, I think it might have been. And I thought that was great. It's a great dynamic. It's a great, that's natural tension, natural occurring tension. People who believe things and people who want to know things. People who have to be able to see it, taste it, touch it, and feel it. And someone who can just believe. And the fact that they could not, they're not even speaking the same language at that point. And, you know, that's a real world problem for people who have, people of faith. You know, and and talking about certain things with people who have no faith, you know, that sometimes you're not even talking in the same, you're not even using the same, well, you're not using the same vocabulary, but you're almost, like I said, you're not speaking the same language because you just, there's that kind of a disconnect between those trains of thought. And I love the way that that tension between them played just in that manner. Yeah. Jack couldn't get around to why Locke would believe something he doesn't know. Locke couldn't figure out why Jack had no faith. Then, you know, and so it's just, I thought it was a natural, uh, a natural barrier between the two of them, and I love seeing that play out over the course you're, of the show. You're absolutely right with all every way you explained all that. It's just frustrating as a viewer, like, oh my gosh, some somewhere find a middle ground somewhere. <laughs> you guys are constantly just at at each other about everything. But no, you're right. It, it was definitely needed for the show, and it played out perfectly. Just like I said, it's <laughs> some sometimes I'm watching like, ah, oh, guys. Seriously, again. <laughs> and finally, on my Mount Rushmore, uh, I have the Dharma Initiative. That was such a great wrinkle to this story. Ah, same with you. I thought we got one exactly uh, then. Yeah, the, the, all, the only three words I wrote were my last one, the Dharma Initiative. That was so intriguing. The Dharma Initiative oh, was yeah. so intriguing. You wanted to learn everything about the Dharma Initiative, what they had, and they only give you a little bit at a time, and you learn more and more and more because there's so much mystery surrounding it, what it was, and we really don't dive in to find out really what it's about until you get to like seasons five and six. It's right. still so mysterious all the way through the, four, the first four seasons. Five and six, you start really getting a handle on what the heck they're doing there more and come to think of it it's all the dreams of the dead anyway yes so uh i had a couple of alternates um just the others that was great but it, it kind of fizzled i liked it when originally when you start realizing that there's like an unknown enemy on this island the others i thought that was cool you want to know a quick other fact sure remember ethan rom who infiltrated the uh-huh. camp that's an anagram other man. Oh, really? <laughs> and that okay. was done on purpose. Uh, another one of my alternates is somebody I can't believe we haven't mentioned at all because he wasn't in the episode, but I remember he was a huge part of the show, and that's Walt. Yeah, Walt was in this episode. Locke has a flashback while he's in that pit, and he looks up, and it's Walt talking to him. Oh, that's Get right, up, Jack. Guys. That's how the first part one ends. But he, but the camera angles they're using, they're trying to make it so he doesn't look another foot and a half taller, because that kid in real life hit a massive growth spurt and just kind of ruined the show. <laughs> it's like we, yeah, we need Walt- you, but we we can't use you because you're huge. 
Right, the whole Walt storyline was one of my alternates. And then you've already mentioned him a lot, but I really liked the Charlie and Claire relationship. That was an alternate for me, that story. Um, Absolutely. Because, you know, uh, he really pursued, really tried to, you know, really fell for her hard from the beginning. Yeah. And she wasn't always, you know, on board with it, but he he kept through it. And so I I liked to see Charlie rewarded in that way. Yeah, he... uh was given a second chance on the island and still made bad bad decisions here and there. But in the end, he may have saved everybody by letting Desmond know that wasn't Penny's boat. Right. And Claire... Did you have any alternates, Terry? Well, I was to say one more thing about Claire. She, okay, she kind sorry. of started to become unbearable by the end of the show, <laughs> last few seasons. Early on, though, she was good. I liked the Sun and Jin storyline too. Later on, yeah. I, I, it was okay early on, but later on, it, I feel like it just kept getting better and better. Once Sun all of a sudden, or Jin, excuse me, started speaking English, it was like he was almost speaking it perfectly. Daniel Day Kim right. in real life can speak perfect English because he, <laughs> right? I think he was born in America. But yeah, I liked that backstory, and they got into it a lot more later on, and. So they were good. What? Who else I have on that list of people? Uh, Saeed was another one. I liked Saeed's character. I really did. See, I enjoyed his character. He was mine. But once they started pairing him up with that Shannon girl that was from the from the crash, it just took away from everything that Saeed was about. He just it's like this is not the type of person Saeed would ever go for. And right. like as a friend, he would be, but it just took away from everything that Saeed was. But as a character, I liked him. I liked the I liked the actor. I thought he did a great job in the show. This is gonna sound so shallow. Yeah, I didn't like the way he talked. He's British. I don't care. What, there was British trying there was to do an Iraqi about- accent. Yeah, it was something about his voice that just it, every time he talked. I just, I don't know what, I can't pinpoint it, Terry. I can't or even articulate it. It just annoyed me. I understand. So it was hard for me to get on board with Saeed uh, just because I just, the way he talked, and I know it's so shallow and such a dumb reason to tune out on a character, but there it was. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> uh, we had talked about Jack's, quote, dad in that show. I thought that dude did a great job uh, acting oh, on yeah. this. He made you hate him. He was great. He's like, right. He sucked you in like being this good person, and he flipped a script so quick. And then you, you see him a few more times throughout the show, and man, he he was a creep. But Ben Linus, man, like I said, he was a scene stealer. It's playing simple. He had to have won an Emmy out of that show. I wish I knew for sure, but he had to have won an Emmy for his role as Ben Linus because you're right, it was such a great job, and just the way he was able to manipulate his own facial expressions to where he looked so. You know, just deranged at times, but at the same time, you know, a kind of manic control with an, in an out of control environment. It's just, it was it was nuts the way he was able to pull it off. Lost had won four Emmys. It won. Uh, he won supporting actor. Ben Linus. Okay, did. good. Terry O'Quinn, who played John Locke, won a supporting actor. Outstanding drama series uh, in 2005. J.J. Abrams, Damon Lindelof, Carlton Cuse all won that. Uh, directing drama series J.J. Abrams won that in 05. Then they were nominated uh, quite a few times. And even yeah, with Matthew and I would say even with Matthew Fox being a lead actor nominee once. 
So there you go. This was a phenomenon, Terry. This was a cultural phenomenon. It was. It was. I remember the final episode of Lost was being watched live on Jimmy Kimmel. What do you mean? The Jimmy Kimmel, his show, they his the studio audience, they were watching it uh, in his studio, okay. and he went yeah. live immediately after the show ended. That's right. I remember that, because I was at your house, and we had a yeah. Lost-themed party where I went ahead and printed off all these Dharma initiative labels, and I... Because if, yeah. if anybody's seen the show knows that they just slap these Dharma labels on everything. Dharma beer. <laughs> Dharma brownies. Right. And so I, I had taken all the stuff we were going to take over there and put a Dharma label around it. So <laughs> it was it was fun. This was uh, – it was great. And like I said, this is before streaming and before, you know, uh, subscription services. So this was network TV. You had to sit through commercials. And you had to wait. You got one episode a week, and then you talk about it all week. And then you get the next episode, and you talk about that one all week. You talk about the, sh- the, the whole season all summer long. And uh, I think there's something to be said for that kind of viewing experience. It's not convenient um, because most people are trying to fit things into their schedule. But you, it, it, you felt out of touch. It's almost like the way I like about sports. Like I know that. There's times that I've had to DVR or tape a game and watch it later, but there's something that just doesn't feel the same. Yeah, and I think it's that shared experience when you know that there's millions of other people doing the exact same thing you are right at that moment watching that show, and I think that adds to the uh, experience. And I yeah. think that might be something that we just don't have anymore. Yeah, I, I remember that being just it was something else that was. Uh. It was just so cool. I, I feel almost bad for the writers, too, because they didn't know when the show was going to end. The, like, the company didn't know. So they had to film some filler episodes here and there. And right. and it sucked because I, I think it kept the show from being an all-time great to just a really good show. It's like kind of on the cusp of being an all-time great because of those filler episodes and if they would have known like here's how many episodes we're going to do start to finish we're going to do four seasons and go go for it i bet they would have gotten a lot more higher ratings and they they already had high ratings i think they would have been even higher and i think it would have had a more satisfying conclusion of how we got there if they were known ahead of time how to get there well it's it's a tough it's a tough lost when you have an episode that that doesn't you know land because like you said you only get one a week yeah you can't just skip forward to the next episode and get that taste out of your mouth if you got one that doesn't really you know doesn't impress you you know you had that bad taste in your mouth for a week and you know so anyway but yeah i think it's a it's a viewing experience that is gone and i don't know if it's coming back in that manner because now you do get i mean it's similar. You'll drop a whole season, like say on Netflix or HBO Max, and everybody watches it within a certain amount of time. But it's not the same as everybody tuning in, you know, at whatever time on whatever night. I don't remember what night it aired. Uh, was it Thursdays that it aired? Yeah, I think so. No. Wednesdays or Thursdays. What? Okay, but yeah, so uh, those days are gone, but they're well remembered, and I really loved dipping back into the waters of Lost, and uh, I'll probably pop in and check out a few more episodes now that i've kind of got my appetite up for it again but we're gonna be watching something different next week what is it 
I couldn't really think of any quotes from it, but we're it's it's we're gonna take this on, Terry. And we're doing the series finale of Game of Thrones. Okay. I, I'm 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 going, still kind of fresh on Game of Thrones. I finished it probably eight months ago, six to eight months ago I finished it. I've watched it more than once. Um and I'll probably watch obviously I want to do the series finale because this was so controversial and so many people had so many opinions. The final season of Game of Thrones was uh Loaded with controversy and, and deviations from what they had normally set up. But I want to talk about specifically the series finale, what you thought of it. We're going to talk about what we actually thought of it and what transpired. And we'll talk about the final season. Of course, obviously, we're going to have to go through a little bit of the whole show just to uh, make sure we're uh, coherent. All right. <laughs> but it's another one of those where... If you loved it, you're gonna know what we're talking about. You probably have strong. A lot of people had strong feelings about the series finale of this show, and uh, so I think it'll be fun to to dive into because I was, you know, I mean, I, I still think the Game of Thrones is probably my favorite TV show of all time. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic show, and uh, rewatching it, I liked it more. But at the end, yeah, uh, first time around, I was week to week, and I was like. Uh, this does not feel the same. It's not it does not hitting as well. But when you go back and right. rewatch it, stream it straight through, you'll like it more. It's just one of those. Yeah. Yep. So I'm excited. We're gonna do Game of Thrones next week, Terry. Winter is coming. All right. Yo, it's already came. <laughs> That's right. The Ice King, Arya, Jon Snow, Daenerys Targaryen, Khaleesi, all of them. We're gonna talk about them next week. All right, I can't wait. I all right, we want to wait. thank all of our fans. Yeah, it's, I can't wait either because I'm gonna have fun watching it again. Uh, well, thank all of our fans for for tuning in and joining with us. We hope you enjoyed as much as we do for retro review with Rob and Terry. I am Rob. This is Terry. God bless you and good night.